and and we're live. We'll just go ahead and start it now. Shall we? Yeah. So you asked me if I listen to country music, and the answer, short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> I figure with all those tattoos and, you know, the, the Georgia vibe, you, you might have a little love for it. But There's always love. You can't love Jason Aldean? No, I don't love Jason Aldean. That's understandable. Um, <laughs> I grew up listening to punk rock and all sorts of stuff, so that's kind of the... The, the, the things I listen to but I do appreciate good music and I love my favorite thing is so I have two favorite songs right now the one I hate to tell people that I do well I'm going to tell now is Cruise mm-hmm. by Florida Georgia Line because oh, yeah. I talk about South Georgia because I was actually born in Albany Georgia yeah which is almost Florida so it's super South Georgia um, and then she had me at Heads Carolina it's a good one. It's a catchy one. And the reason I love it is because maybe she'd fall for this boy from South Georgia. and That's I'm why like, I ask you. There's so many yeah. good, catchy Georgia country songs right now. And Florida yeah. Georgia Line, that cruise song was too too much for me. But then I listened to a lot of the other stuff and I sort of – it was a – it was a uh, they call it like a, a guilty desire, I guess you would say, guilty. with yeah. sort of wanting to hear their music and – Tyler Hubbard's from your neck of the woods, I think. But. I know. They're all, a lot of from Georgia. Um, I mean, I love Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks is solid. There's like a bunch of his stuff that I will just jam to. I think one of his songs was on my workout playlist for a while. It was um, Colin Baton Rouge. Just because of the, I met him last night, Philly Arms, girl of Louisiana. See, I didn't get into any country until probably 20, 2012-ish, 2011, 2012-13. But the, the but mu- my grandma listened to it, so I was like, I can't listen to that. The music that I like, and it's basically country, but it's not, is like Tyler Childers. Have you heard him? It's my man, dude. Love him. Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill. Um, There's some new guys on the scene that are pretty good. In that Jason, category, Jason Isbell could kind of get into that category. <clears throat> yep. Tyler Cody Sh- Jinks. Have you heard uh, of Cody Jinks? And Billy Strings. Yep. And the thing that I've never liked about country music is it always feels like a lack of authenticity. It always feels like they're forcing the accents. Where, like, when I listen to Sturgill Simpson or Tyler Childers. Oh my god, I'm blanking on another guy. But those guys, it feels real. Yeah, I don't. That's the only thing I can say. Like a Morgan Wallen, for example. Maybe I've seen, you, I've heard his name, but I haven't listened to any of his. He's music. like the next big deal, dude. Oh, and, really? and I actually like his music a lot. And he, but like Florida Georgia Lions, Tyler Hubbard, and this guy Morgan Wallen. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have forced accents, but they're they're one's Kentucky, one's one's Georgia, and I literally think that's how they speak. But you know, it, well, it's, it's selling a lot of music. So there are <clears throat> there are different accents for different parts of the South, and like if you go to Savannah, Savannah talks like this. In Charleston, it's more of like an upbeat, like Mississippi. It's just like the the different parts of country or South you go to is di- like. For me, like I grew up thinking that anybody from Arkansas or Mississippi are basically trash people. 
but people from like, but then I come here to Virginia and everybody makes fun of me because I'm from Georgia. And I'm like, you guys, like the capital of the Confederacy is an hour and a half away. So can we calm we got to draw the line somewhere. Right? Dude, man, but it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, but like I listen, like I'm always looking for authenticity and I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if it's rap, country, bluegrass, like any of that. I'm looking for that. Like, there's this Tyler Childers song called "Follow You to Virgie." Yeah, I know. His, I know his album as well. First time I heard that song, I was bawling like a kid, or bawling like a baby, for ten minutes. Have you watched any of his? Uh, you've watched his YouTube stuff, live stuff, mm-hmm. acoustic sets. Like, he's next level, man. That mm-hmm. that's real, un uncut talent. Yeah, um, yeah I have a big I have fan. A, I, I liked him. I got into him because of that song, The Universal Sound. My friend Dustin got me onto that. And then, like, there's this seven-minute thing that he put out, like a speech. And it was right around, like, the start of COVID and the Black Lives Matter stuff where he started talking about... He just kind of put things into perspective. in the Like, I think in the right way. Like, he was talking about, like... Because everybody was, you know, like they talk about the flag as their heritage. And so he was kind of like, he was, he made this, God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to explain it a lot, except that it was like, he told this story of like, how would us as, as people from, you know, country South hear like someone was shot because they were getting out their fishing license, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, there's a lot of people, you know, African-Americans that, like, they're they're trying to get out their wallet and people are scared. You know, there's situations for all of that. And he started talking about that. And he's like, this flag isn't your heritage. He's like, if you want heritage, heritage is like canning. Heritage is like quilt making. Heritage is the music. He's like, that's what I grew up on. That's He's a heritage. West Virginia guy, too, right? Yeah. I believe. yeah. Super, like, super, like, Appalachian. And it was just really int- it was I thought it was cool to hear him talk about that because I grew up here in like it's heritage not hate and it was all for the flag and I was like here's this like country guy talking about like his heritage and like I have a quilt that I sleep on that my aunt made yeah you know and, and so I just I thought that that kind of I like that perspective I, I kind of was like right on Tyler keep talking he he's one of my favorite artists certainly in the last like two three years and mm-hmm. probably will be. Mm-hmm. just his brand of music and yeah. he's not even fully, he's not fully mainstream yet. I mean, no. he's playing on some of the local country stuff, but it's funny. I, we came over to talk about being a dad and you and I, I know you're a music guy cause I saw you at the, uh, Unwritten law concert yeah. authority zero on Authority law. zero a couple weeks ago. And you know what I got to say, you know, being a, a product of nineties punk rock. Yeah. We're getting old. You know, these guys were uh, a little bit washed up. I think the uh, lead singer of, of Unwritten Law was arrested down in Florida several weeks before the concert. Yeah. We didn't know if it was going to go down. Yeah, he was arrested because he caught, got caught smoking weed, and it's still illegal in Florida. In the state of Florida, of all places. That's the one thing that's not legal in the state of Florida, it seems. <laughs> but... <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that was that was a good time, man. I got, you know, we had, we had a blast. Yeah, it's funny, like... Was that your first punk rock show in a while? Uh, you know, I do Norva shows on occasion when a big act comes through. Like, I, I grew up, you know, to this day, some of my favorite acts are, 
you know, social distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the fat record stuff is sunsetted for me. Um, I'm a big fan of Chuck Reagan and the whole hot water music is probably oh, one of my favorite yeah. bands. Hot water I music. went to see Chuck Reagan play acoustic set in Norfolk. <laughs> Did cool. you hear about that a couple no. weeks ago? That was probably three months ago, maybe. And he played uh, an acoustic he set. He played an acoustic set in downtown Norfolk at a bar. And we went in there. I brought Amanda and a bunch of buddies of mine were all up in there. And actually walked up. Chuck was standing next to the stage watching the other acts. I walked right up to him, freaking shook his hand, introduced Amanda, told him how much of an impact he was on my life, listening to his music, and he took his ha- his ball cap off. And I was like, that's so classy. And tilted it to Amanda, and she was like, you know, that's great. Who's this guy? But, that's I mean, awesome. he, he was a, he's a, a legend to me because that band, like, back in the late 90s was a little – it was different than a lot yeah. of the punk rock that was mm-hmm. happening at that time. And they, they came into my college days in the 2000s, and, like, Hot Water was it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I followed. That's what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um but then, yeah, Social D and, and all those, you know, sort of classic bands that uh, are just timeless, in my opinion. Yeah, it's fun to see that. So the reason I asked it is your first one, because you mentioned, like, everyone's old. So, like, a few years ago, I went to see, like, Face to Face came with Lagwagon. Yep. To the Norva. I had a bunch of buddies that were there. I didn't go. And, that, and then that was the first time that I looked around at the show, and I was like, yep. I'm not 20 anymore. Like all of us look, I was like, I remember thinking, God, these guys look old. And then it was like, I looked at myself and I was like, holy shit. Like I kind of look old. That guy looks old. We're all old. I mean, we're still like, I, I moshed, I jumped up and down. I did all the shit that I normally do, but I paid for it for about two days, you know, and all of us paid for it. Yeah. And I, it's, it's I stand hilarious. up in the balconies now at uh you know you get some good shows coming through at Norva. Yeah, you do. Um, mm-hmm. I'll hit the beer garden and then go up top and try to weasel my way onto a, like a, a balcony. Yeah, I, I've position, gotten but... to where like I don't like to stand for too long. I want to sit down. Yeah, you know, being forty kind of sucks. Tell me about it. But yeah, like Authority Zero was one of the bands that I followed a lot. Like I, I've seen them five times. I saw them and it was really cool. Cause when I pulled up to the show, he was getting out of a cab. It was like right before I saw you, I authority had zero authority zero. I just saw, I had just got done talking to lead singer. Yeah. And I was like, Hey man, I was like, I'm looking forward to the show. And I was like, I, I saw you for the first time you opened for some 41 in Atlanta. And he was like, what? And then he just looked at me. He was like, that was a long fucking time ago. And I, we both had this moment of like, yeah, it was a long fucking time ago. These guys, you, you can imagine the traveling and stuff that they, they've done mm-hmm. and the genre they're in. You know, they're, yeah. they're playing dive. They're playing bars. They're playing, mm-hmm. you know, Norva, which is a great venue. But I mean, these guys aren't like major production acts right and they're not touring in a they're not touring in a nice bus they're in a van <clears throat> yeah and they've been doing that their whole lives you got to respect that i mean you i do. think i you know and, and i grew up in the punk scene being in a beach town i mean that's yeah. like what we did it was punk rock skate skateboarding you know we were into i was a soccer player you know the athletes were all surfers and skaters too and punk rock was what we did i mean it was a way to like identify together you know yeah man it was awesome i feel like 
in Atlanta, it was different. Like there was always punk rock. Atlanta was so big. I mean, I, my formidable years was like Incubus and Deftones. And then I dabbled in corn and Limp Biscuit, which I try to forget about. But <laughs> that's that's something you should probably let go. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly like I, I don't want to let go of Deftones or Incubus. But like my like I've always liked punk rock and I've gone to all these punk rock shows in Atlanta. I mean, that's where like Carly and I, my wife, like our second date was the Gaslight Anthem. It's a good date night. Yeah. Um, we saw Against Me together. I mean, we've gone, we go to shows like that's our thing. But then when I came here, it was reignited. It was crazy. I was like, there's all this punk rock I forgot about. Because all the guys that I was working with at Zeke's, the Ocean Front, were just listening to punk rock. And they would all come here. And so then I'd be at Shaka's all the time, seeing concerts and all these guys. I mean, less than Jake. I've seen Less, Less than Jake, Jake came here through. like I mean, three times here. I've seen Against Me twice here. I've seen... So Against Me, great band. Yeah. Less than Jake. I mean, AFI back in the day, you know, oh came my God, through, played Norva, yeah. the 2000, probably uh-huh. four or five-ish. Yeah. One of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. But that was AFI's heyday, yeah. you know? And so many of these, a lot of these bands, like even in, Against Me... Went down this sort of uh, transsexual route. Yeah. Right? Like Davey Havoc and then... Uh, well, he's not trans. He's not trans. But at the time, I remember... He was very like uh, there David was, Bowie-ish. Yeah. And I remember thinking he's he's turning into a woman. And then against me, singer, what's his name, did in fact do that. Right? Yeah. So Tom Gable is now Laura Jane right. Grace. That's right. Yeah. And I've seen against me in Atlanta when it was Tom and then I've seen against me when it was Laura. Yeah. And it was just as hard. Was it the same thing? Yeah, it was the exact same thing. But he was wearing like a dress. Well, he he had long hair. Um he was taking the the hormones, so there was some like changes in his like overall like gait. Yeah, kind of. Uh you could tell a difference, but it was still like I mean, it was still. He came out and played a uh, cliche Guevara. Okay. And then all the, I mean, they played all the hits, and people were getting down. See, that's playing the hits. We're going on this diet, this this rabbit hole. But yeah, these older funny. punk bands have got to play the hits. Like they my have buddies to. were talking about the show we just went to, and mm-hmm. and them not playing these albums that were so like important to us back in the nineties. You know, yep. they're playing new shit, and we're like. I hate to say it, but you guys sort of framed yourself in this era and, and you look at your audience and, and I don't want them to not expand as artists. Right. But at the same time, it's tough. Like I want to, I want to go and see the band, you know, the, the music that I grew up listening to. But. It's like, so I've <clears throat> seen, I've seen third eye blind four times. Okay. They are an amazing live band. And they always play semi-charm kind of life. They have to. And I've heard an interview about it, him talk about that. He's like, why would I not play that song? Yes, I've made, they have like 10 records and they have so many great songs and they could they could do tours where they don't play semi-charm kind of life at all. But he goes, that song made me millions of dollars. That song is what gets people in the door. 
and I'm going to play it, and I'm going to like it, and I'm going to give it my all. Great point. Because that's that's the point. He goes, that song allows me to tour and to, like, he's not in a van. He's in a bus, right? Their yeah. van is in a bus, and he gets to fly, and he lives a very comfortable, great life because of that song. They also had, like, Jumper and... How's it gonna be, narco? I mean, there's some. Well, they hits, had a ton of like, but hits that song, late '90s, yeah. They're always gonna play it. Yeah, and that would—that's what. It's hard as an artist, I'm sure, mm-hmm. to say here was my period of success, and my new music isn't going to mean as much. Oh yeah, and that's what the challenge is for them. I'm certain of uh-huh. right, and so like we're all there to see the '94 lag or uh an unwritten law album blue room and then uh-huh. you know their 98 release and they played like two songs i was like man i know they played they played teenage suicide and then it took them a few songs and they played sea and red and everybody was like all right but yeah i left halfway through the set i i yeah i figured you know what punk show is just you know maybe but then but see much, but then authority zero was on before them they, they were good out, i thought they, they were the best they act. were a great they so were the better actor than they night, came out sure. with this song that was off their first album. They opened with that, and that was great. Then they played a couple of new stuff. Then they played old stuff. They played their new song called "The Back Nine, and that was great. And then they they played one more minute, which is that hit that that's what everyone knows them by. And he gave it their they gave it their all, and it was great. I thought they were they were good for sure. I thought they were better. Yeah, but. and so what I love is that, sorry, no, no, know, if, don't. If, if this is perfect, if. Because, so like when I first moved here, I loved that Virginia Beach had the American Music Fest. Yep. Where like you would have all these bands show up to the oceanfront and you could see them for free. I was like, are you serious? So like the first summer I'm hearing about this American Music Fest, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm like looking in the lineup and I'm like, holy shit, Eve Six is going to be there. Sugar Ray, Third Eye Blind was there. And so my buddy and I were like, he had come up from Atlanta to see me. So we were getting, you know, we got on our bikes. We parked at like 60th Street, rode our bikes all the way down the ocean front. We get to where, you know, Eve Six is playing first at, at the 31st Street stage. And then after them is Sugar Ray. So Eve Six comes on and they're a great, they were a great show. They played the hits. They didn't like, they didn't play like it was a paycheck. They like just, I mean, they got into it and it was fun. It was wild. And I heard, you know, what's that song? Gonna run. Put my heart in a blender. That song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that song. They played that, but then they played all these other songs. And I was like, these guys are great. And it was awesome. I think they even opened with an old song. Everybody was like, okay, this is going to be a good time. And then all of a sudden, so they they leave, whatever, and the Sugar A comes on. This is on the beach this stage. This is on the beach stage, the thirty first okay. street stage, and Sugar Ray comes on, and they're like, "What's up, guys? We're Sugar Ray. This is a brand new song, Summertime Good Love, or something." Uh, and you're like, and you were fuck. like, oh, and I could tell. Although I was never is... really a Sugar Ray fan. But well, yeah, Sugar Ray. It was it was mainstream music. Their first album is hard, and then Fly came out, and then it took them a whole new level. It's the same thing with Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls were hard, and then iris came out and that changed they made so they were more like that they were early they were grunge 
like early late grunge mm-hmm. and then sort of transcended into this yeah shit that we were listening to in yep. the late 90s on the mainstream radio yeah exactly yeah you have to listen to their very first album but anyway but what i was saying was it's like you have to know where you came from you know and like half the crowd left for sugar ray because they were like i mean it's cool that you have a new song but we want to hear the stuff and then I and then it wasn't even like Eve Six was like two thirds of the band of Sugar of, of Eve Six from the nineties. Uh, oh, it right. was still the lead singer. Right, it was yeah. still the the guitar player. They're only a three. They've always ever been a three piece. So they just had a new drummer, but uh, it was still mostly them. And then Sugar Ray comes out, and it's just Mark McGrath and a band. Yeah. See, you I know? I never identified to any of that, and therefore. You know, when, when live acts come, which we are, you know, pretty fortunate having grown up here and with this new something in the water scene that, yeah. that, you know, got interrupted, I guess, by COVID coming back, I've got half my friends going, half my friends are not going for reasons. And you know what? It's a big city generator of, of capital and money. Right. And I think it's a great thing for the city. The live music that comes here as a resort town mm-hmm. is overlooked by guys like myself. I'll say I'm guilty because I'm just like, it's, you know, we grew up with us, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting though, like getting back to the whole, the punk rock conversation, whatever, like that's, that's a genre I'm interested in seeing select shows for, but now like I've sort of, as a father, maybe mm-hmm. this will parlay us into the next conversation but country music is what i sort of identified with my wife amanda initially we we sort of came together on that and at the time i was listening to like these catchy new country bands from georgia yeah georgia Florida line stuff like that and to me it was almost like a uh you know not to be like sentimental but like a love ballad of kind of I listened to their album three days ago. I hadn't listened to it in two years. And I was like, shit, all this stuff came flooding back. That's the kind of music you want. And that's why when you go to a punk rock show now, uh-huh. like like Unwritten Law, <laughs> yeah. Teenage Suicide, you know, I brought that into my music class in 10th grade, I remember. And that was the song I selected to play for the group, the class, you know. And I was yeah. just like thinking, I was like, holy shit, they let me play that in there? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so... You know, so when is, you say the love comes in, is because like you and your wife connected because of country music, or that was something that she loved? I was, I was evolving as a you know into found mm-hmm. myself sort of evolving into country for some for some reason after living with really nobody as friends that were into country, and, yeah. and I just found it to be soothing, and I felt like sort of that newer country to a certain level was catchy to me. I didn't particularly care for all the messages in the songs, but either way, it was it was it was good, yeah. catchy music, and it was sort of like a guy that's falling in love, which yeah. was me. It and was you like were listening a, to country while was, you were falling in love, and we were you know long distance. Yeah. So she's in Cincinnati, I'm in Virginia Beach. Um, that's right, because my my family is from Centerville, Ohio, which is an hour away from Cincinnati. Have we had that conversation? I don't yet? think no. Well, I may have known that, but. We might talk about that, but I think it's great because honestly, what it, music is supposed to be that, and honestly, 
if you listen to country music and that's what you feel, then that's all that matters, right? Who gives a fuck? I only listen to music that <laughs> makes me feel a certain way. Like, yeah. I listen to shit now that my friends would laugh at me about. You know, like Odessa. I don't know if you know, yeah, you know like Odessa the clubby uh-huh. sort yeah. of stuff. Like, Odessa was another song that I told Amanda when we met. I said, make me a playlist of sexy music. And, like, Odessa was on there a couple times. And, like, I'd listen to Odessa, you know, 650 miles away mm-hmm. from her. Yeah. And I would just trigger memories of, like, being in a, a bar club with her and Cincy. I'm like, Odessa, fucking, who are these guys? So but, you met your wife here in Virginia Beach or in Ohio? We how met in, in Halfway Point. Uh, how did Snowshoe, you meet? West Virginia. Oh, Snowshoe. Yeah, man. It was a coming, it was a coming of guys trip, absolute debauchery uh-huh. shit yep. show. She's with a girls trip. Total shit show. Yep, both. And oh. we just stumble into this bar in a snow-covered mountaintop. Yep. It's it's the love story of the fucking. No, they keep, make a movie, keep going. Keep talking. No, <laughs> you gotta say you gotta keep talking about this because so this we're is... we're we're you know I'm up there with the boys. We we I'm a snowboarder and that's my mm-hmm. that's sort of my thing. Having grown up in a beach country, it doesn't make a lot of, or beach town doesn't make a ton of sense. But snowshoes not far away, so of course snowshoes the best mountain on the East Coast, arguably. And you know I've been going there for a number of years with the same group of guys. At the time, you know we were there. This was like our our third trip as a group, like five or six of us, and you know we're we're painting the town. I mean, my my friends are no uh, saints. You mm-hmm. know, we're we're getting yeah. after it, and uh, you know, I think it was like the first night we walked into this bar, and you know, it's jam packed, and we're hammering beers, we're hanging out, and we're just bouncing around the place, taking cracks at different women that are in there for fun. Yeah, it's how. It- it's what happens. And I didn't uh, I didn't even see my now wife, Amanda, in that bar. So I, I was in there, and we were talking to a bunch of different people, and her friends ended up talking to me, and I'm talking to them. And next thing you know, an hour or so goes by, and they grab her, and they're like, we're going back to these guys' house. And we just walk out of the bar. So we walk out of the bar. I've never even seen her in the bar. Uh-huh. And she just grabs my arm outside of the bar and we walk arm in arm all the way back to the house i'm like i, I look over i'm like you're not bad you're like all right where'd you come from let's she was talking to the guys from england across the bar uh-huh the whole night so anyway we we hit it off that night and ended up uh you know hanging out partying at the house for a bit and then she took off with her friends long story short we sort of co-mingled the rest of the weekend and uh parted ways mm-hmm. at the time didn't think anything of it uh shot each other a quick message or two like days after that and it just sort of turned into something that i wasn't expecting at the time and so it started long distance oh yeah yeah it was it was wow. always long distance it was wow. always long distance and i was actually um it was a uh it was a it was a difficult time in my life mm-hmm. for a number of reasons because i was actually still married at the time and you know we were going through a lot of issues and i'm not proud to say you know i put myself out there and obviously things happened the way they did um i have no regrets about it but at the end of the day 
you know, the fact that she and I sort of developed this long distance relationship that was based on good things and, and bad things, lust being a bad thing, but the good things were the relationship, you know, sort of the connection that we were making long distance. I mean, we were writing, I was writing like, uh, probably six, seven, eight pages worth of email shit to her almost on a daily basis. It was just back and forth, back and forth email and for, for how like long? six months. Oh, six months for like six months. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't decide to see each other again for another six months. And then we did that and, you know, just hit it off again. Um, and then there's parts of the story. I it's fine. don't want to go into detail about the long, you know, she was in Cincy. I was here. She came here. I went there. We met in the middle. We did all this. And, you know, I ended up at the time I made the decision that, you know, my marriage had sort of run its course and, mm -hmm. you know, I decided that it was, I was going to leave, uh, shortly, you know, after, after probably about shit, I couldn't even give you a time frame. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I did that. I moved into an apartment in downtown Norfolk, not for the sole purpose of being with Amanda, but more so because I knew that the relationship I was in was not going to go any further. Yeah. And, you know, I could tell I, that, that ate me up for so long. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in the grand scheme, it wasn't that long, but I was, I was in a bad place for a little bit of time and I was there, but it was, I would tell you this, my, that six month period I had where I was living in that downtown Norfolk apartment building in this, you know, little space that was my own was the absolute best thing I could have done for myself as a person mentally. And as a man too, to, to sort of gather my own, just, just get more dialed back into what was important to me. So it was almost like you were putting yourself in a metaphorical cave to figure shit out. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had, I had all the time I needed to, to do whatever I wanted mm -hmm. and I was always sort of grounded. I mean, I was two blocks from my office and, and my work has been very important to me and always will be. Mm -hmm. So I focused on that and I focused on you know, still wanting to be in this relationship with Amanda. And, you know, when I actually moved into that apartment, she and I were not even actually speaking still at that point. Cause I, I cut her, we cut each other basically. And, and I said, I've got to deal with this part of my life. And before you and I can have anything together. And I did that by way of this sort of transitional period into that, that apartment that I was living in. And then, you know, we just, we picked right back up where we left off and, you know, I, I loved her. I was in love with her and I, I always will be, I am in love with her, obviously, hopefully to, to this day. But, um, we, yeah, we got sort of back in full speed and this was about a year and a half after we met now, um, and I go out to Cincinnati for fourth of july weekend and just get reckless to a good to a good extent yeah and uh you know we we had a wonderful time it was you know five six days and came back home to my apartment and like you know three four weeks later we're talking i'm with a buddy down at the beach she calls me she's like hey we got to talk i'm like what do you mean 
And she's like, well, give me a call when you get home. So I get back to the apartment. We're FaceTiming. We, we would always FaceTime. We'd tune in at 6 p.m.-ish. And we'd FaceTime until 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. the next day. Just basically leave a running stream. So you're just hanging out together? Hanging out. That's, FaceTime. That's wild. For like six months. And um, and she throws a pregnancy test on the fucking table. And it's Whoa. all. Whoa. Yeah. So here we are 650, 650 miles away. I'm, you know, out of this marriage, you know, freshly out of this marriage that, you know, I'd been in for like seven years and now all of a sudden, you know, we're having a baby. And so how long had y'all been to like talking that she's pregnant? Was it like the six months or was it like a year and a half? A year and a half. It was a year and a half. Yeah. So you were sold on her for a while. I was sold on her from like day one. And so she finds out she's pregnant and she's living in Cincinnati. She's got her own house. Independent woman. Cincinnati. Got her own job. She's a accounting major, you know, smart girl from university. You know, went to UC, got her shit together, dialed in. And I'm, I'm in the emerging stages of my now career that has taken off. And I'm like, all right, it was the most sort of topsy turvy, complete unsure period of my entire life. Uh huh. And you know, I, I went with, uh, I went with faith. I went with my heart. Yeah. essentially and i said you know this is where i want to be and things worked out i mean needless to say and we can get on to the particulars after that but that was that was a tough stretch because she was in cincinnati i was in vb living yeah. in norfolk rather and she had to essentially do her entire pregnancy alone alone in cincinnati wow. because she was employed uh-huh and I couldn't transfer her to my health insurance at the time. Wow. So she couldn't leave. So I, we were back and forth that nine-month period for... I was back and forth every three weeks or so. I actually was at every doctor's appointment. You went to every doctor's appointment? Every doctor's appointment I'd fly in. Wow. Yeah. Good on you, man. Yeah. It was serious because my previous marriage, <laughs> like I would mentioned to you off yeah. mic... Mm-hmm. But children were it was something I, I always wanted. I wanted them to be my own. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nothing against adoption or anything else, but there was something in me that wanted my own children and my own DNA, as fucked up as it probably will be or has been. But <laughs> she, uh, <clears throat> when she got my ex-wife, basically, you know, we struggled for five, six years and couldn't do it. And yeah. spent all my money. I had no money left, no savings. Uh, and ultimately that's what broke us apart Yeah, in my mind. So that's what happened. And so like, God fucking, I remember there's a lot of times flying to Cincinnati. I remember when my dad, so when my dad passed, I had to, cause he, he had pancreatic cancer, but I was in Atlanta five times and I could think that was, that was hell. Just drive, flying back and forth. Man, Cincinnati. It's not a... I mean, well, there's there's straight weeks. shots, but there's layers. I mean, look, I'm yeah. a, I'm a trap. I'm a, I'm a, like a rolling stone to a certain extent. <laughs> I can't sit still. I got to be moving. I got to be traveling. I mean, to me, it was great because I was yeah on the move. And um, I love... 
<clears throat> I love that she's from Cincinnati only because I got love for Ohio because my family's from there, but also one of my favorite movies of all times takes place in Cincinnati. It's called Airborne. I know the movie. I didn't know that, though. You got to watch the movie. It's basically about a surfer who, <laughs> if Miles ever listens to this, Miles is a buddy of mine, but he was on the podcast. We had a 20-minute conversation about this movie. It's called Airborne. Anyway, it's a surfer that has to live in Cincinnati. And to connect himself with people, he like he's also a rollerblader. Yeah. And they have to rollerblade down this hill called Devil's Backbone in Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio. But I would always like... I got to check that But one. like, you know, so like growing up and like... We're coming up from Georgia from 75, and then we get to Cincinnati, and then we get on, I forget what the highway is, but just take a left. And I always used to love, like, driving. I knew I was almost a grandma and grandpa's right house. Right past the city, kind of cut in. and Yep. And yeah. I've had so many Skyline chili dogs. It's it's the best, like, late night dish you can have, but it's mm-hmm. a true gut bust. Yeah, the every next day is a nightmare. Most, um, like, see, my aunt... And most of my cousins all were, have have all worked at a Skyline Chili. Um, Ohio gets a really bad rap, but uh, I've only ever seen really great places in Ohio. I, to that point, Ohio gets a bad rap because it seems like a lot of people move out of Ohio. Yeah, but Ohio as a core and the Midwest mm-hmm. in general, yeah, is some of the friendliest, nicest people I've ever known. Yeah, and they're they're salt of the earth folks. And Cincinnati is is one of the best beer towns. Yeah, one of the original beer towns in well, the entire U.S. from that. the German heritage. On top yeah. of that, I mean, they're sprouting constantly. Good breweries, yeah, good food, um, and good people. I mean, yeah, my family's super German. We're all, right, all German. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My she, last, her last name's Dressler. I mean, yeah, my last name Clemens is spelled C L E M E N Z. I saw that because the Z, it's the German. I mean, we've traced our family back to the 1600s in Germany. So it's always when you think about tracing your family heritage in Germany, it gets a little weird. It's the whole Nazi thing. Yeah. It like makes me nervous. But <laughs> I've seen like I've seen the family tree and like I can see where like, you know, we've had family. We were mostly Nuremberg and Oslos Lorraine, which is basically France. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's it's the Clemenses and it's the Zays. Z-E-H. It doesn't get any more German than that. It doesn't. Yeah. Or Dressler is pretty damn German. I know. So, but anyway, but yeah, what a, what a wild story. Yeah. And a great story. It it is. There's parts of that I've left out, but it's there fine. there is uh, to be where I am in today. Yeah. Uh huh. And to have lived that period of my life, it, it certainly made me. Do you think that you would be here today, like in the situation that you are? Does it feel like? Cause, cause I don't, I mean, I've always wanted to be in a beach town. I used to watch all the surfing videos. I used to love wearing Hobie shirts and like the really early eighties, like surf company shirts. Yeah. I'm not surprised, but then I'm, it's also just like wild. Cause my entire family was in, was in Georgia, my whole friend, everything. And then I'm like, here I am living in Virginia beach. So, like, do you feel like where you're at, are you surprised at all? Uh, you mean having grown up here and... Well, and it's being... like, I mean, all of a sudden some girl comes up and now you're flying, you know, you're back and forth from Cincinnati. Now you've got three kids and... 
No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a particular guy. I think I've always known like mm-hmm. what I was attracted to. And my wife is a very strong woman. And, you know, the night I met her, I actually nicknamed her the rattlesnake, believe it or not, because, <laughs> because she was, she was so like sort of, you know, hard, hard skin, tough. I could pick up on that. And she was, you know, she was calloused in a way, which maybe had something to do with the way she was raised, but I found that attractive. So I knew what I wanted and she ended, she was what I wanted. You're not right? surprised. Yeah, I get that. I'm not shocked about that now. Yeah. My, my wife was, is kind of the same way. I've always been into stronger women. Yeah. I wonder why that, is. I mean, I just never liked the character, like, it's partly because of the culture of the church that I grew up in, but I never liked. No, I mean it's. No, it's not that. It's actually my mom, because like what I was saying earlier, my mom grew up on a, like she was a farmer's girl. She grew up breaking horses. My mom has been thrown into countless fences because she was bucked off a horse. My mom can, you know, she does all the things that any guy could do. She also played college basketball. Really? Yeah, she played for what was called uh, Memphis. It's Memphis University of Memphis now, but it's called Memphis State. Okay. Back in the, let's see, she was in the '60s. She also played for a small school in Tennessee called Freed Hardman, but uh, she played back when women's women's basketball was only half court. That's okay. how long ago she I never played. even knew that was. Yeah. The way so that was. Uh, my mom could shoot free throws better than just about any any of my friends or any person I've ever met. And she's five foot one. She's that tiny. Yeah. Wow. I she played point guard, and um, you're a big guy. I am. My dad, my dad, and the rest of my family are. My dad's side of the family is really tall. Okay. So I got, I got. Luckily, I got that. And she's five one. Yeah. My mom, when uh, <laughs> when we used to, I grew up going to the summer camp. My mom would work in the kitchen, and she'd be just back at the pavilion where the basketball goals were, just sinking. Sinking free throws all day. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a cool story, man. It is. So anyway, so that's my perception of a woman is is that. So that's what I looked for. My mom was rad. See, that's that's interesting because my mom was an art teacher in, in Virginia Beach here and was yeah. a softer woman, but was, was certainly opinionated and a very, you know, hard woman mm-hmm. in the sense that she put up with a lot. You know, yeah. and, and, and she put her family first. And so she was hardened in that sense. And I think, you know, she grew up with a mom that was particularly difficult, alcoholism and things like that. And, um, yeah, I wonder if that shaped the way that I feel towards women now. I don't know. I of mean, course. my wife now, Amanda, is, is very much like I feel like my mom was, you know, grounded in that sense. Yeah, we're a product of everybody before us. Surely. Yeah. So. And that doesn't that worry you sometimes? Does it worry you? It worries me. There's when I look at all the downfalls yeah. or, or pitfalls and I mean, I choose to think that I don't know, man. I I shouldn't say does doesn't well, that I'll does say that ever worry you? Well so I've growing up and having something like like I have the benefit, I can call it a benefit now, of seeing the entire world as I know it, i.e. the church, fall apart and that's all wrong, right? 
So then that showed me that I don't want to do things away because that's just how it's done. And so I've almost, uh, a lot of the decisions that I've done have sort of taken me a different path than like the rest of my family. And so sure it worries me, but I'm also doing things differently at my age that my dad was doing. And so there's He wasn't like, going to punk rock shows? He wasn't going to punk rock shows. He wasn't like doing half the stuff I'm doing now at 41. Like when he was 41, it was like all family all the time. And yes, for me, it's all family all the time. But it's also like the way I eat, the way I discipline my, my kid, my general outlook on life. There's so many things that are different. Even like my relatives that are my age who live in some in Tennessee, like they, they're still middle of nowhere, rural, you know, don't, don't see a chiropractor, don't eat, you know, in what I would think is a healthy way. Yep. So, so yeah, there's things that worry me about that. I mean, there's genetic things that sure, but I don't know. I'm, I'm living a totally different life than anyone in my family. So I think that that gives me sort of a, I feel more positive about that. Well, I mean, I would, I would echo that and say the same thing. I mean, I grew up in this area. I grew up, you know, five miles from here, not even. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in a different household, different lifestyle than I'm living now. And I'm wondering where I am now. And is that a product of sort of growing up with two, two parent teachers, teachers Mm -hmm. that were parents sort of living on the cusp of our means my entire life and and then them sharing that with me. So money was always sort of a topic and, you know, I was a traveling soccer player and competitive soccer player throughout my entire youth and into college, the money that that took and in the hardship that I knew it brought on. And I wonder now if like, you know, am I carrying that around on myself and am I, am I giving, this is sort of more to the dad talk. Like, (coughs) Are my children, am I giving them too much? Are they getting it too easy? Are they going to not respect and appreciate this at a later time in life? Are they going to think this is normal? Hmm. You know, I think I'm in a different story. Yeah, You're thinking, I think what everybody thinks. Because like I grew up, I, I have the same thought. Where I'm living now, parched. yeah, grab it. Where I'm living now is nowhere like what I grew up. Like my dad was a teacher. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I grew up in like, I used to tell people I grew up hood adjacent. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like we didn't have like financials was like a thing we talked about because we knew that we didn't have much. Yep. So my life was struggle all the time. I mean, I live... We're a block, like, we're literally across the street from the beach. It doesn't get any better than, I mean, I grew up here, and I would say this strip of Chicks Beach and, and the Chesapeake Bay mm-hmm. is is by far, I think, the best strip of land in the entire city. Yeah, my house is double the size I grew up in. You know, I also have a decent car. Um, I haven't had anything stolen from my backyard where, like, Things were stolen from my backyard growing up a lot. Um, yeah, man. So it's, would you? It's it's weird. 
it isn't it is weird because you know there's a number of guys right that that sort of just fall into that lifestyle that they grew up in yeah Mm -hmm. and then there's those that that branch out that do different things you know Mm -hmm. move different places or you know meet a partner woman that's changes their life and it sounds like carly don't let me put words in your mouth but maybe she changed your life in a way and brought you to something that was totally different and new she was she was a catalyst for a lot of changes i was ready to leave atlanta i was i i I like i mean atlanta's huge you can have whatever you want atlanta it's that big of a place i mean and i had friends and i had a life and i could have been fine but there was a thing like leaving a church that was basically your life leaves you with very little and i was very disillusioned with a lot of things and she showed up and it was like huh and she comes from a very different world than i do and i was like all right life could be this way all right i thought she was rad from like the moment i saw her and i was like she's someone that i need to follow I don't know what, but I feel like I'm seeing my future, essentially. But she was a cat. She was a catalyst. She was for a lot of changes, and I'm here. And I ripped the bandaid and I left everything that I knew for this weird little beach town. And everything has been better since. And that was what, ten years ago? How many years? Maybe ten years ago. I mean, I I met her in 2010. I moved here in 2013, so May will be 10 years. All right. And then you guys, when did you get married? We got married uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah, man. And then your son now is four? He'll be four in June. Okay. So so I've got an almost four-year-old myself and a just-turned-five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. I know. And... So- I'm dragging ass, buddy, but hey, you should see my wife. <laughs> so you have three kids, huh? I got three kids. Well, hold kids. on. I got, we got to like... Do you want to go back? Should we backtrack? No, I think or? I don't want to... Because we're saying... We have to honor... Like what you just said was in like... The conversation we're having is like worrying about where we come from. You know? Like that's a real thing. And I think that like... We should think about what we came from and honor it, but also know, be smart enough to know, like, maybe I should go this way instead of that way. I don't know. Like, know, like, because I guess what I'm saying is, like, just because it was doesn't mean it has to be. For sure. That's all. Yeah, and I I agree with that a lot. Of, I was I was programmed by my mom you know, diving in a little bit deeper, but you know, she came from an alcoholic mother. My dad was, you know, an alcoholic to some extent. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, it caused rifts in the family, certainly between my mom and my dad, my relationship went with my dad was nothing was not anything but just pure. I mean, I, I feel like there was hurt in some ways when I saw the relationship there was no violence. There was no, you know, fighting or anything like that. But it was just 
sort of my dad was a, a scientist. He was a physics brain. He was an inventor and he was a closet sort of guy um, yeah. that would, you know, needed his space and would shut himself off. And, you know, he did a fair amount of drinking on his own that was unhealthy. And it was, it was a known thing to me late, you know, within my childhood and my mom, you know, kind of turned that as something that was granted, it was not good. It was not a healthy thing for the family, but I looked at it as a, a, a sort of a destructive tool. And she tried to program me into thinking that, and I've talked to Amanda about this, you know, drinking, right? This is, this is like this topic that is front of mind. Now I've got friends we are 40, 41 years old that are talking about drinking or, or not drinking anymore. I've got one, one of my best friends who just said, yeah, I'm gonna give it up. I'm like, all right, shit, we're 41. That makes sense. Um, but it's weird because I feel like, you know, a lot of my, my life, my family, you know, what we do for, for fun is go to the brewery. I mean, look, yeah. I enjoy mm-hmm. having beers. I enjoy going to the freaking breweries. I enjoy, you know, going to the bourbon trail in Kentucky and blah, 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 blah. So I guess all I'm saying back to my parents is that like, I was, I was kind of programmed into this mindset that, um, I think what I the, the point I was trying to get at Roy was that, um, are we who are we a product of of our upbringing, and is alcoholism, for example, we use that because your dad was an alcoholic, are you automatically going to be an alcoholic? Mm. And I think I can name a number of cases where that is the case, and I can name a number of cases where it's not. And so, how do you you know, as a father? Now, back to the conversation at hand, raising children. How do you want to talk to them about this and, and what is normal and what is not normal? And how do you try to keep, how do you try to get, how do you try to get five and three and one year olds to respect you without using what was generations prior to us, physical force? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad's dad beat the shit out of him. And that was his vice for being an alcoholic. And I'm like, my whole life, I'm like, that ain't, that's no reason. That's not an excuse yeah. to be fucked up the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and granted, and God bless him. Thankfully, he did not use that on that same approach. He hurt me with some of the decisions he made with alcoholism. But at the same time, he was there for me. I mean, he was carting me all over town doing things that, dads do yeah um so let's see so first thing i think about genetics so gene expression um in the small amount of research i've done being not a scientist or geneticist or anything and talking with my wife who's like she you know being chiropractor they look at they look at health in a different way than most people do They talk about environment. So you can have the gene for any sort of number of things that can express it or it can't. And there's an environment that comes into play. So like, for instance, like what are you eating per se that, you know, what is the environment or let me back up the environment, your body, what, how are you creating that environment inside your body? So you could have a healthy environment and that gene might not ever express itself, you know? So yes, you come from alcoholics, but 
you don't necessarily have to be an alcoholic. What was it about their lives that caused them to be an alcoholic? You know, there, there are a number of reasons why people are alcoholics. I mean, I, I do believe it's a disease, but I do believe that like an environment has a thing to play. I don't think it's the only thing that has to, that is to play, but you know, that's a big thing that we can't ignore. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's environment. Yeah. I think it is a disease mm -hmm. and yeah. My and dad, I, my dad died a very painful death. Mm hmm through liver cirrhosis in a, mm -hmm. in a nursing home at the early age of like early seventies. Yeah. I mean, my dad got pancreatic cancer and he died very quickly and what he was eating and the environment of his body. I love him to death. I mean, he was a product of what he knew, but I don't think that his environment was the best. And I think that that played into that. And then there's another thing I'm thinking of, and it's a buddy of mine. And he tells me that I talk about him every time, so I'm not going to mention his name. But he says this one thing. He goes, you have no control over how your kids are going to end up. You have zero control. They are a conscious being that will make their own decisions, which sounds really shitty. And you still can provide the loving, natural home for your kids to be in. You can still be that. And... That's what I try to do. You you just you just nailed it for me actually. Yeah. And and the reason why is that I think about my upbringing and I think about what my dad did uh -huh. and how I still look at him in a in a great light and my mom too. They gave me all the freedom in the world. I was the oldest. My sister is five years younger. I did whatever the fuck I wanted, man. I went all over the neighborhood. I rode bikes, mm -hmm. skateboarded. You know, just. My dad always said to me, I was always, he always said, just use your common sense. And he said that until the day he died. And he knew I had common sense. My kids have common sense. And I got to remember that. I mean, that's yeah. something as a father, you got to remember these kids, they're a product. They're, they are your own DNA. Yeah. We, we respect, we're respectful individuals. Right. And my tonight's a perfect example. My overhang with their disrespect you know, throwing the golf club in the yard and pitching it and saying, I, I don't care, Dad. And I was like, pick it up. That fucking lit me up, man. And I'm yeah. thinking, I never had experiences like that with my dad. I never yeah. did shit like that, though. And he maybe it's because he wasn't out there with me. But I'm always there. Like, I'm, I come home from work. I change clothes. And I'm freaking hanging out. Yeah. You also, your kids don't have the struggle that you had. No. And that worries me. And, and I don't and that's what want... we can come back to. Yeah. But you did ask, like, how do you, like, control them? And so, like, <laughs> without physical force. It, it's so funny because this always comes up. Because, you know, I think, you know, I was spanked as a kid. All the time. And that's just how they did it. And... Everyone I know that's my age was spanked at some point in their life. And I thought that was normal. Well, then I became a teacher. Now, let's say I'm teaching your kid, and I'm trying to get your kid to do something. And they're not listening to me, and I spank them in the classroom. What are you going to do? It's not going to fly nowadays. No, no, but seriously, the, yeah. but if I spanked your child because they weren't listening to me, I'm going to get fired I'm probably going to get beat up sometime because you're going to find me because I just hit your kid. 
I've been in a situation for the better part of two decades where I can't physically force any kid to do. And you just start to learn things. You start to research. You start to learn things. I look at it my like I look at it as a corral, right? Like in a corral, like for the horses, they have their boundaries, but they can move freely through it. I'm not looking for like, it has to look like this 100%. You have to corral it. You have three, you know, you have three kids. You know, it's kind of like, just give them some boundaries. And I don't want my kid, I don't want to spank my kid. I don't ever want to spank my kid again. Not again, like I've done it, but. It never taught me anything other than fear and shame. That's at the end of the day, that's it's harder on the parent than it is the kid. Yeah. And I know that from and it's only because of my job and being around children, I know that they're capable of learning and capable of understanding. They're not animals to be broken. I think that like physical discipline domesticates the kids it doesn't teach a lesson it doesn't and amanda told me that tonight i mean i i make threats that are that are aimless like sort of you know weak yeah physical threats and all of a sudden my three-year-old's like putting his hand up to me like this i'm like bro and you know he's he's hitting me and i'm like i don't hit you like i just get stern with you and he wants to use physical violence man this this Raising kids, man, I got to say, by far, unequivocally, the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, and I do want to I do want to voice and give a voice to the fact that like it's the hardest fucking thing in the world to not do something physical because the kid, my kid, I mean, it's they're all ego. They do shit and it pisses you off and it's it doesn't they don't understand why it pisses you off because they're kids they don't but you don't and in the moment you're so close to the thing because it's your fucking kid yeah right i'm not perfect i'm gonna say that because i just had this whole cool thing about it's a corral but nine times out of ten you feel like you're doing the worst well the moment it's it's the moment and and you know the the challenge is the moment pops up Mm-hmm. You know, you're everything's fine. All of a sudden, something triggers you as the yeah. parent, uh-huh. and you feel like there's a lesson to be made, and then it goes totally downhill. Kid blows up, all hell breaks loose, yeah. and you're like, that fucking backfired. And then you feel like shit. Yeah, you do. And then, you know, you got, I have three of them. Yeah. And somebody's either, I swear, either whining, crying, bleeding, shitting, pissing. Yeah. Needs their ass wiped at every given moment. And my baby doesn't sleep through the night. She wakes up every two hours screaming, we'll only take a man. Amanda hasn't had a night's sleep in a year and a half. God, and so, so you know, we are just sort of we're fully functioning to an extent where, you know, I, I don't want the kids to suffer because we are so tired, pissed off, irritated, aggravated. You know, so we try to give them this outdoor space. We try to give them all these things they can do with themselves. And we try to be a part of that. Um, but, like, my biggest my biggest concern as a father is, are we doing too much? Are we doing too little? 
And so where do you, each kid is different. They're not, they're not raised to be hellions. I mean, they're not, they're not born into hell, hellation, hell, mm-hmm. hell you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. wild animals. <clears throat> um, so I don't have the answer yet, but. I mean, I can tell you, I think you got to give yourself some grace, dude. Nobody, nobody has it figured out. I know that. Well, but, but see, but, but do we? Do we really know that it's nobody? It's easy in this conversation to know that. It's always yeah. easy after I blow my fucking gasket well, to I'll, sit I down can, with my wife so, and say, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. You know? So I'll say this. I don't like to give advice a lot, but I had a moment with my kid that I think is important with regards to blowing up. Um, You know, my kid... I don't like, so I was picking him up from, from class and, uh, my shoulder has been killing me. Right. I don't know what happened. I think I pulled something at the gym, but like I couldn't lift my arm. And this was like a few days ago and we had to go and I was like, we got to go. And he was like, no. And he runs off. And I was just like, Oh my God, I've been teaching kids all day. We got to go, dude. So then he's around two of his friends. He goes under this playground area. And I'm like, hey, man, we got to go. We got to go see mom, whatever. I got to go get adjusted. And he's like, no. And then his friends start laughing at me. And I was just like, motherfucker. That's the spark right there. That was the spark. And then I'm like, Jasper, we need to go. And he's like, no. And then he starts laughing. And all three of them are laughing at me. Sounds like my day with my three kids. <laughs> I lost my shit. And I grab, I go under and I grab him. My shoulder just is erupting in pain. Shit, man. And I didn't like, it wasn't like anything more than I was like, we're leaving. And I got him and we get in the car. And I remember I was like, I'm fucking tired of this shit. And I put him there, get in the car, sit down. All, I mean, and he was like, whoa. So anyway, which we've done that. Every person who's listening or in life has done exactly what I've done. I didn't physically abuse him, but I grabbed him in an aggressive way. I'm six foot one. I'm a big dude. Their kids are little. Anyway, he's freaking out. I'm pissed off. I'm, I'm like yelling. I'm like, we have to go and I can't handle this and all this stuff. And it's just silent in my car. So we're going down and I we're going down by the north end or whatever. And I was like, yeah, this fucking sucks what I just did to him. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. I hate what I've just done. So literally I pulled off on this parking space on like 50 something street. I got out of my car and I got I took off my sunglasses and I looked him in the eye and we had this moment and I talked to him. I was just like this is how it felt. I was like, I was like, sorry. And not in like this guilty way, but I was honest with him. And I was like, look, y'all were laughing at me and we're family, right? Do we laugh at our family? Do we do this stuff? And I had this moment when I talked to him and there was this realization that I saw in him and in me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I kind of like healed it at the moment. So it's like, you can't change the moment, 
but you can like talk about it after in a way that's like healthy in a way that they see like okay dad got angry yep and i'm not going to be like like scared about it or fearful of him because he talked to me and okay i understand why in some sense and so i guess what i'm saying is like you're going to erupt you're going to get mad you're going to be angry and that's okay because I think the last thing that dads or men or boys need to feel is like our feelings are wrong. Like anger's right. okay, but talk about it. This is why I was mad. This is what you did and like what can we do differently? I think you're you're absolutely right because tonight's a good example, you know, my my oldest son has been craving attention and he's you know acting out. Yeah. Blow up on him. And you forget or I do at least that Apologies go a long way. Face to face contact, admitting you were wrong for for acting for me, saying I said to him tonight, I'm sorry I yelled at you, I was wrong. And um, you know, I just wanted you to, to put away your golf club and not chuck it and be uh disrespectful to me. Cause that that hurt me. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me and he was like, I'm sorry, Dad. I mean, but you forget in the moment that that shit my middle child is a totally different story, man. That guy's a total <laughs> yeah. fucking. I love him to death. Holden, he's gonna be a to, he's gonna be an absolute uh, terror in a good way, I think. Um, but the, the having having kids, three kids, right? They're all different. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's the other challenge now. It's like I think I got my oldest son. He's just like I am. I feel like I know how to relate to him. He responds to things that trigger me and blah blah blah. My my middle one, I have no idea. He's he's a he's a free spirited. Um, he's got a six pack abs, dude. He's just jacked, but he's little and and wiry, and he doesn't listen to shit. Yeah, he doesn't do he doesn't do anything you tell him to do. And he's got this beautiful hair and these blue eyes. I'm like, dude, you're you, you're either gonna get yourself in a lot of trouble, or you're gonna be a legend. Like you gotta. <laughs> yeah. How do I even navigate yeah. this, bro? Right. Um. And then my daughter, Jesus, don't even get me started there. That's totally she's um she changed me in a way that I had not been yet, where I just I feel a love that I've never felt in my life. It's cliche. People say once you have a daughter, you you'll get it, and blah, blah blah. I was like, whatever. And this this little thing came and she just she she rules me. I mean, I will do anything, I will do any and everything you know, in, in my life to make sure that she is taken care of. It's so crazy how girls do that. Girls do that to us. It's a totally, it's a, it's a wild scenario, man. It is, isn't it? Because I look at her and I just, I'm like, I don't care. Her shriek makes, makes me want to like throw a fist through a wall. Yeah. Cause it, it is so awful. That's the only way she can communicate. And yeah. she just screams, screeches, but when she's on, she's on. She knows how to work the room, man. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And and that's a good thing. I want her to be able to harness that, right? But she's got two older brothers, too. Um, that's a good thing. Yes. I mean, because I told them. I've always told them, and they know this. They put they, they, they harm her. This is probably the wrong thing to say on the dad podcast. It's but fine. they harm her, I'm going to harm them. Yeah. And that's a tit for tat. But they just need to know that it's not okay to smack her, hit her, push her, 
And maybe is that because she's my daughter, the youngest of three, or is that because I mean, if it was a younger, is a boy, I don't know, would I act the same way? Probably not. I don't think I would. Yeah, I don't. You know, <clears throat> it's almost like a. You expect him to push the younger boy, but you want to protect the little girl. You want, yeah, the little girl is going to get away with, and that's the other sort of double-edged sword. Yeah. Do you give this girl so much leeway that you know she becomes something you don't want her to? And as a father, any any father out there <coughs> with a daughter, I think, has that fear you know, of because mm-hmm. we've, you know, I I've not been uh, at different points in my life. I've done things I've regretted to women, you know, and. I don't want my daughter to go through that same thing, you know, and, and I don't know if that's avoidable or not, but I do feel like if she knows her dad and she knows who her dad is, she will find a guy like her dad. Well, I think most people, most kids, boy or girl, they want to be seen and heard. If they're seen and they're heard, I mean, it's generally fine to, to some extent. I think in my like, you know, experience with kids, I think the kids that are seen and heard at home are the ones that I'm like the easiest to deal with in my classroom are the ones that I can give like problems to that are harder, you know, they, they can exist. So in, are you, like, when you say the, seen or heard, do you mean, um, when I'm talking about my experience, the fact that whether it's a, a a good or bad interchange yeah at the house i'm always present yes i go to work i come home i'm there when i'm home i'm bathing them i'm doing the things you know it's not always pleasant but at the same time it's it's presence is well, how I much think, of that do you think i think it? it's 80 percent showing up it's 20 percent giving a damn i think it's really from the people that i've talked to the conversations i've had listening to it it's just i mean you can be present and not give a damn and you're just a body in the room but it's that 20 percent of giving a damn about who they are on some extent is is the thing like you can show up and bathe them and put them into bed but if they know that this is just like oh yep dad's just here to put me in the bed but if they feel a genuine connection which is that that small little twenty percent? That it's the most important thing. That's that's I needed to hear something like that because you know mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm present. You know, and I'm home by three in the afternoon. I pick my son up. I will say I drop him off and I pick him up every day. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to be. I want to be the guy that drops him off and the guy that picks him up. First guy he sees. Um, and I will do that for all of them because mm-hmm. I have the flexibility to do it and. Maybe that's good, maybe it's bad, but at the same time, like, giving a damn, you're right. I mean, it's how you manage that 20% of time. Yeah, and I think it's it's just like, it's just honoring who they are for whatever it is. And it's not like I'm saying, like, I always think about, you watch Bluey. Oh, yeah. Like, I think they give too much of a damn. Bluey is you know what totally I mean? unrealistic. It's a great, it is. It's a feel-good show. Yeah, it's a feel-good show. Kids but, gotta watch it. But. but they do everything for them. Right. Right? Yeah. They play every game. And I think 
what I'm saying is just like them not having to like say your name 30 times to look at you and you're just like, oh, what? Well, that's, that's where I'm at though. Cause I got three of well, them. Well, you yelling, have your, your daddy, 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 daddy. It's, it's a little crazy. <laughs> that's okay but, that it is because you have three of them. And I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm blessed for that. And I have yeah. to just sort of channel that. Well, I think yeah. that the bigger question is what do you do or do you do anything outside to help you stay present? Like what is, is there something that you think you could do? Like for me, like I have to once in a while when the concerts come to town, I have to be there so that I can like, like I'll go to Municipal Waste or these shows. I was gonna say the Waste, man. That was another one. Oh yeah, that was they were great. I grew up with Ryan Joy, the guitarist there. Yeah. And the Waste, man. But yeah, I, I um, <laughs> those guys are. I know Andy Harris. <clears throat> Andy Harris, good for I've known him for a number of years. Yeah, because I good he dude. played in a band called Constrictor. Oh yeah, John with, Hicks with Jared Fritzinger. Yeah. Did you know Hicks too? Yeah, I kind I know I knew Fritzinger more because my Carly. Went to cot like she was at the basement parties with Fritzinger and Dreps and that was the whole era. Chris Castellano is yeah. Castellano, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch of other guys and so like I when when I first came to town it was it was those guys but like and then I taught with Andy at Old Donation School with his art but uh, yeah Andy but anyway and I were high school buddies yeah. yeah I love Andy Andy is he's, he's the best the salt of the earth guy he is he's a great dude I got one of his one of his art pieces in my in my house really yeah but anyway but like for me like i go to a concert to wrestle around and get some of that stuff out or i'll go to the gym to kind of like get get shit out so that like i'm more present or like i'm lucky in the fact that like i get i'm going to a cabin this weekend to get away be by myself and to kind of like recenter. So is there something that like you find that helps or are you figuring that out now? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been called selfish a number of times because I do believe in personal time. Yeah. I do believe in, um, personal time and balance is everything. I yeah. Mean, I think I figured that out at an early age, having to take care of my you know ailing father and my mom passing away at, when I was 30, I sort of carried the load, uh, for my family and the balance is what got me through. I've always been physical athletic and, you know, working out is a thing that I, you know, I, I'm consistent on four five, six days a week, you know, regularly and snowboarding is sort of my, my vice with my, my group of guys. I've got, you know, a group of like four five, six guys that we take an annual trip uh, you know, and, and of course it's the whole, it's one week, right? One week, leaving my wife one week with three kids is like an eternity. And yeah, I do this because it does help me reset. It, it also sucks because when I'm gone, I know sort of the struggle that's happening at home, but it's a necessary means 
And Amanda, I feel guilty simply because, you know, she can't really do that. Although I would encourage her to do that. Sim you know, because my daughter's so young and still, you know, attached to her. So, yes, I mean, I, I get away for this. This year was a bad. I mean, I, I took the month of January and did some traveling. I mean, I went snowboarding out in British Columbia to backcountry, wow. you know, heli and and stuff that was insane. And she was not stoked on that at all. Uh, understandably so. But that was my fourth trip over four years with this particular group of guys. It was a lifetime trip. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, yeah, I, I like to, you know, I'm caught, as a father of three, I mean, I like to golf. I like to snowboard. I like to go to shows. I like to go happy hour on occasion. Like it's, you just sort of got to juggle it. I don't you have feel, to, and it's, it's hard to not feel guilty when you're doing those things. Every for time I do anything, I feel guilty. Yeah. Cause I know where she is and what she's doing. It's impossible not to. If you don't, you're maybe you're too selfish. I don't know. <laughs> I think I if think... you're not selfish to a certain extent, though, man, you're gonna let your own, you know, your own. Well, mind. like, I don't know. You have to find the things that you do to help you to be present at home. And the the hard reset is a necessary male thing, I believe. I mean. Yeah. Look, you need that reset every every now and again. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna take a week. It's gonna be in the winter. It's gonna be probably February. I'm gonna go for a week with these guys. You might not agree with all of them. A couple of them got, or, you know, just not we for all, the podcast. We all have, you all have those. We friends. all have those friends. You all have those friends. I love the yes. drugs. Love the you know the booze. And it's like, all right, look, I'm not dabbling in all the shit, but we're we're going out. We're having a good time. So yeah. I think that like we think that we can't as parents as and as fathers too because I think a lot of it is we have to be the answer for a lot of things and we're fixers by nature, right? No doubt. You know? And we're just pre-programmed. We are. We're a product of the ancestors who that was their job. You know, you look back and I mean People don't want to talk. I don't know. Maybe people talk about it, but like, it's ingrained in us biologically that we were we were out, right? Our job was a certain thing. Like, we would go get the food. We would go fix the thing. We would we would be doing all of these other things, and so it, it's in us. It it's ingrained. It's it's biologically in us. Yeah. And that's the hard that's the hard thing about being a dad is that you can't fix you shit. can't fix shit. Even <laughs> shit you can physically fix yep. half the time you can't figure out to fix. I know. I mean, and it's hard cuz like I struggle I think you talk about how like when the kid wants the kid won't go down without mommy. That's hard. You know. It's it's hard on a number of fronts, right? Well, it's because hard for her, and we don't honor that enough. I think where we say like, "God, that I mean, that fucking sucks," and I mean it's a part of being a parent, but still, we can't do anything about it, you know, to some extent. Now, like with, 
it's different for me because I have one kid. You, you got to throw a couple more in the mixer. No, nah, we're good. That's it. There's no more coming. <laughs> That's what I said after one, two, three. You got snipped? Yeah. I did I too. Did. Yeah. When did you make that decision? Um, Well, I didn't think I wanted to have kids at all. At all. Um, that's a whole long story, but, uh, short answer is, um, I decided, I think that like, well, I mean, long story short, I mean, I've shared the story so many times, but I don't know. I had this idea of like, I think the thing that changed, changed me because I was a teacher. I was interacting with kids, all of that. I had that, like, I'm impacting the next world. But then uh, Dana Carvey was on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. And he said, you know, I have millions of people who love me, millions of people who laugh at me, millions of people who think I'm the greatest. But there's only two people in the entire world that call me dad. And that's pretty rad. And when I heard that, I was like, all right, there's something to it. So, yeah. But anyway, so... So that that made you want to become a dad or that that sort of spurred the <clears throat> it just spurred to be like different I think different this mindset. is something I need to try. Yeah. I know that sounds weird to say but I was like Not at all. Man. I mean my wife she wanted one and I was like I don't know. There's something to this that I think I need to participate in. So we had them and it was great and I'm done and I'm good. What do you think uh You know, so I will say my situation, none of my children have been planned. It's all just been reckless, just, you know, uh, I'm physically and emotionally attracted to my wife in very strong ways. And thankfully, we have a good relationship, you know, across the board. But none of these babies were planned. Um, And when they all came, it was sort of like I had never thought about having three kids. I never thought about having two. I just wanted one, right? And I don't know that you can plan for more than one. Um, no. Some people do. Some people I know but, that I have a friend that has four. Yeah. I mean, f- well, it's not a joke. I mean, two is the game changer. Three, it's like, oh, shit. Four, it doesn't even matter. I yeah. can imagine, right? We don't have four. But I also, after... Uh, <laughs> The day after Millie was born, um, I called to get uh, an appointment to get snipped, and I couldn't get in for nine months. Dude, it I it took me eleven. You know what I did though? What? I was taking a piss at the office, minding my own business, and this dude who's a in the business I'm in knows yeah. all the doctors. He's got clients with all the doctors walks in he's like how many kids you got now i'm like man i got just had my third that's a lot he's like when are you getting when are you getting snipped i'm like fuck i got an i got an appointment but i can't get it for nine months he goes well fuck i'm paying i'm playing golf next weekend with the lead uh doctor over there i'll get you in i was like really you can do that two days later i got a call they wanted me in the next day 
God, man, I'm, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> it's a story worth sharing because it's like, holy shit, it saved me a fourth kid because there's no way I could have gone nine months. Yeah, it's it's um, it's the number one elective surgery I know in the state of Virginia, at least since COVID. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's just a wild, it's a wild thing. And I don't know, I didn't go into it willy-nilly. Like, it's just like, no, I don't want to deal with that again. It's just, it's just a feeling. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I've, I've tried it. I love, I don't remember, I don't remember why I don't want to have kids per se. Cause now that he's here, it's like, I don't know. It's hard because people want to know why do you want to have kids? What's the, the big deal about it? And a lot of it you can't explain. You can't. It's not explainable. I mean, you know? wanting to have one versus three is not really. There's no difference to yeah. me. I mean, I once number two came and then number three came. I mean, she called me. I was in with the home homies. I call them uh, snowboarding in yeah. Big Sky, Montana, on my birthday, and she texts me or calls me the night I get out there, and we're, we're like hammered. You know, I've been on the plane all day, partying, getting ready to go ride Big Sky the next day. I love Big Sky. Have you been out there? Yeah. It's beautiful, man. That's one of the most beautiful Snowboarding places. has taken me to so many places throughout this country and Canada that are... It, to me, I'm a mountain guy. I love mountains. I'm a, I live in the beach, but I want a mountain house. I want a, a yeah. freaking chateau. I've seen places in Wyoming and Montana that, I mean, it's God's country, man. There's just, nothing prettier than that. Yeah, but anyway, but, yeah. but getting back to the point, the first night she calls me and she goes, um, throws another pre- which I've been through this, I've been down this road before. You keep pregnancy test on the table when I'm with the boys, <laughs> saying she's pregnant with a third. I was like, wait, I pulled out. I'm yeah, thinking to myself, I, I don't even remember. I remember with the first two. I don't even remember with the third. I mean, that's total recklessness. It is. My buddy's telling me, hey, you're just a reckless son of a bitch. I'm like, <laughs> I want a kid. I want a kid. I mean, but when you, you got a, a woman that, you know, you got a good thing going, I mean, look, it's, it's a blessing. And yeah. I will always look at it like that. And the dad conversation can always be a commiseration. But at the same time, you know, I I, I want to steer the conversation, and I'm guilty of it. But I'm always like, man, how you doing? I'm hanging on by a thread. You know, I, I said that late yesterday to somebody at the ball field, and I was like, that sounded shitty, man. I fucking love my family. I love my kids. I mean, it's just, it's a fucking shit show. Yeah, and hold on, it's all so cool to be real. Yeah, I mean. You ask me what's up, dude. I got three kids under five, man. It's a fucking shit show. Yeah, man. It's okay. It's okay to say. And I think more people, I think more people need to be okay with. It's like, yeah, man. That's yeah. I'm me too, man. And then you like you talk about it for a minute, and it's like, all right. But then you start to realize, oh, okay. But this is going good. This is going good. We don't honor like. We don't honor the shit. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, I don't think we're allowed to say, like, man, it fucking sucked today. You know? What if it sucks every day? It's I'm fine. Sort of, I'm sort of in that period right now where well, every day 
You can also change. Sort of a, I gotta change my my. You can change the language. Your cup is full. You got three kids. It's gonna be like a circus, right? Or you could think of another word to say. It just is what it is, man. The more we label it, I I know like, I can only say experience from like teaching. The teachers that were like, my class is chaos. Their class was always chaos. But the people that were like, the class is like, we just got a lot going on right now. They were usually managed it better. Period. It's the the self-fulfilled prophecy. Yeah. Sort of mentality. You're going to hang on by a thread as a parent. That's just how it is. Right? Yeah. And you know... at this period, and this is documented, this conversation we're having, and it's yeah. interesting because I'm hoping I can listen to this 10, 15, 20 years down the road because I, I'm i going to give myself a kudos right now. I'm going to say, look, man, you're in the fucking thick of it. But everybody says it gets better, and I'm not there yet, but it changes. It gets harder in different ways. I'm in this sort of chapter right now or this... Uh, this season, if you want to call it, where you're like, you're treading water and, you know, you wake up in the morning, you get your cup of coffee and then somebody's crying, whining, pissed off. And it, and it just, it doesn't end until they go to bed. It's somebody's <laughs> always fucking pissed off or whining or crying. Yeah, and I'm man, like, it is, it is that way. And, and I'm just a commiserator at this point where I'm like, all right, it will get better. Me in 20 years, you will eventually, you know, these kids will do all right. And it's back to the present. Well, the kids are going to like grow older and they're not going to be 100% ego all the time. Yeah. And you know know what? This period doesn't last. Everybody says like, you'll, you'll look back at that and you'll be like, man, that was, that was tremendous. You know, at this point I'm like, fuck. Get these kids self-sustainable. Get them to wipe their own ass and put their, di- you know, get dressed and let's get them, let's get them going. Well, like, but I'm like wishing away all these things that are, you know, major parental sort of uh, duties and things that are important. It's not. It's oh yeah, we put so much pressure on ourselves to make it to make it whatever it is we have to be thinking or feeling a certain way every time because somebody or something or whatever is out there tells us i don't know man one day i woke up to him screaming and he screamed and he was upset until i left for work and that was it and then he came home and he was still pissed off or no i picked him up and he was still pissed off I mean, that's just how it is sometimes. I, I dropped him off pissed today. I picked him up pissed. I was not expecting that. My God. You ever, has, but he has did your kid, great the whole day. Has your but kid, he's chilling. Right? Has your the whole kid day. ever screamed at you because they wanted to hold the whole container and they didn't just want some? Every second I'm in the kitchen. God, that is the one thing that They want everything me. they can just slather all they over the place. They want to see it. They want to see everything in front of them. Yep. It's my 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 fucking pet peeve, man. 
I get up at 5.30 every morning. I go downstairs. I log on my computer. I make a cup of coffee. I sit there and I do my thing. I manage yeah. money for a living. And I, I get more done in the first hour and a half of that day than I do when I once I go down to the office in Norfolk. That's my time. And it's been interrupted, speaking to the selfishness, you know, one or one of them at least is coming down at like 6 a.m., 6.30. I'm like, dude, I've only been down here for like 30 minutes. What are you doing? Let's put it on a show. I want a milkshake. A fucking milkshake, which means honey. My wife made honey and milk has been their like thing. Really? <laughs> so I shake it up. It's a milkshake. Whining about a milkshake. I'm hungry. I'm, uh, uh, uh. And I'm like, shut the fuck up please and let me do me yeah. you sit here on my little bench in this office down here and i'm gonna put on a little show you watch a show chill and my middle child never fails man he just i want this ah, ah, ah. raising hell and i'm like i'll look back at this man it's not gonna be an event it'll be no it'll be fine but it drives me up the fucking wall yeah it does it's okay that's my time to get shit done I got to go make money for the family, guys. You don't get that. I, get, I understand, right? Just shut the fuck up. Sit there. Don't demand things from me. Don't be disrespectful. They don't know they're doing it. I have to remind myself that. They don't yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. But it's incredibly like, it just, it, it gets so much under my skin. I'm just like, buddy, can you just be sweet and just be like, hey, daddy, can you make me a milkshake? Daddy, I want a milk. I'm like, yeah. bro, you go straight to fucking whining. What is up with that? Yeah, because they're they're because they're the age they are. That's and I, I guess that's <laughs> it, right? If they're still, but doing it still that, fucking sucks. It fucking, it fucking sucks, sucks, man. And it, and it's okay to say that. We don't say that enough. I was talking to somebody one day, or recently, and he uh, he yelled at his kids. He'd be okay if I told this. I'm not going to say his name, but anyway, he yelled at his kids and he didn't know that people upstairs could hear that he was yelling at his kids. Like not family people. It was not family people. Oh. He had made a dinner. He was at this thing. And so the kids were being loud and he could hear it. He had been working all day for this dinner, whatever. We've been in our wits end, right? And he comes home, he goes down there and he's yelling at his kids and he didn't know that they could that everyone upstairs could hear. His wife comes down. She's like, "Let me tag you out. Just go back upstairs. I got this." Great. He it's comes necessary. upstairs, right? And the one person that looks at him is a therapist who doesn't have any kids and side-eyes him like he didn't do what was right. And it's like, I, I I told him that when he told me that, when he was telling me the story, I was like, dude, all I want to do is I want to punch the therapist. Because it's like, whoever has kids knows you're going to be at your wits and you're going to yell. He eventually talked to his kids and everything was fine. But in the moment, we're mad, we're angry, things happen. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay okay at like physical violence towards that or like th you know but like it's okay to be angry it is man the part that worries me is that it's 
we're at the season again where it's it's daily. Right? Sure. And it's yeah. And it's okay, but it's it's just sort of the uh it's a season. And you know what? Yeah. That's how I have to think. I mean, I think that's how any father should think about and it's easy to hear what I'm saying is it's okay to be mad is it's a license to be shitty to your kids. That's not what I'm saying. No, I don't I know. And I hope that people hear that that's not I'm just saying when you honor the anger you're going to recognize what you need to not let the anger go to that next level, right? So like for me at least 3 times a week I got to be at the gym before anybody wakes up to come home. And uh, I just need to pick up some heavy things, put them down repeatedly. Somehow that helps me. And then I can like interact when my kid's yelling. Because if he's yelling when I'm back at the gym, that means my wife has been dealing with him for like 40 minutes. So I need to just be there so she can go have some kind of sense of, you know, some time. Yeah. You know, and I think time is what's, what's important. And, you know, your wife is a career woman, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are as well. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a tough, that's an extremely tough avenue. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you've got one. Um, yeah, we're both working. With, yeah, I mean, <coughs> working to, I mean, we both grew up in two working houses, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Amanda stays home. I don't know if it's, I mean, she, she certainly works harder than I do any given day I go to the office frankly to get a clear thought I get more done in silence I've got like an aid everybody's got ADD right to a certain level but I need door shut I need friggin focus and I knock out shit boom 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 and that's just my mentality I can't I can't get that done anymore at home um and and I can't I mean she embraces the chaos I mean and I love her for that. I mean, she is an amazing woman. Everything that I went through and everything that happened to get us to this point is is my life is at a different place than I ever imagined. You know, and and that's I don't know that a lot of people maybe maybe a lot of people can say that. I don't know. I mean, but uh, yeah, I can bitch and moan about three kids all day long. But I also was in a marriage that couldn't have kids. And so that's always grounding. I mean, that always makes me think back. All right, look, you can be pissed off. You know, do what you're going to do on a day to day. But, you know, perspective, I guess, is the term that you'd want to want to put there. And um, I mean, outside of that, man, I mean, we'll get these kids to their freaking teenage years and they'll be harder and different reasons and and then maybe she and i can have a honeymoon when the kids are gone like 25 years <laughs> Man, i don't know we can't travel i'm a travel like i said i'm a traveling guy I mean, I love yeah it's traveling. hard and it's hard it's probably hard to get a babysitter for three kids it's impossible and my parents are gone right and we live in v-bay we have no help here i have no grandparents no nothing we're entirely self-sustaining wow and uh I mean, that's how generations before us did it. So, I mean, there's no reason we can't. Yeah, man. I don't know. I will say that we're going to take a pause. To you guys, it'll just, to people listening, it'll be a second. But for us, it'll be a minute. Yeah. I have to go to the restroom. Yep. 
Me too. Yeah, hold on. All right. And we're back. Hey, Roy. What, what was see you again. <laughs> what was 10 minutes, 20 minutes to us was a split second to the people listening. We did break open a bottle of bourbon that straight off the Kentucky Trail from Willet. Yeah, I want to talk about this because, because you know, most times I do this, I have the dads tell me what their favorite thing is to drink, and then I have, and then I provide it. And you told me there was one thing. You said you were a Kolsch Pilsner, Kolsch Pilsner guy, so I got some 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 good Pilsners. I got Kolsch, and then a and then a Pilsner from a brewery in Virginia called Vassen Vassen. Sorry, I don't know. But then you show up with this bottle of bourbon. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, let's talk about it. Fresh. Fresh yeah, bottle man. of bourbon I've been saving for an event uh, yeah. like this. I yeah. mean, this is a special occasion bourbon, man. We went to, uh, I told you, we were talking earlier about my, uh, I'm a creature of habit, as mm-hmm. most men are. And so I have a snowboard trip every year with my group of guys, and then I have a bourbon trip every two years with the same group of guys. And uh, the group of guys I do the bourbon trail with are the dudes that, coincidentally, there's three of us, and we all married Cincinnati girls. What are the chances? We live, really? We were born in Virginia Beach, and all these guys married Cincinnati girls. Shut the... How many guys are it that have married Cincinnati girls? There's there's two. So my, my two buddies married twins. From Cincinnati. Stop. Coincidentally, it. was this years the one? Was this the snowshoe event? And the twins? They were, there? were with me at the snowshoe event. No, I'm talking about the girl twins. Were the girl twins there? No, this was a guy's trip. Oh, because uh, that would have been amazing. No, yeah, we didn't all just go get married off this this same trip <laughs> at the snowshoe. What a romantic comedy! <laughs> the guys that, that are married been. to the the Cincinnati girls are we're on that trip with okay to snowshoe. Cool. But, uh, needless to say, so, you know, two hours down to Louisville, Bourbon Trail from Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, so this is, we do it every two years, and it's our third year. We picked up this bottle from Willet, which is a rare bottle, they tell me. I mean, taste-wise, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, like, lighter, smoother stuff. Yeah, this um, kind of, like, I feel it in my sinuses more, less than, like, burning down my throat, but it's really it, i like it very it's, smooth it's unique flavor i mean i think it's uh you know like i said i i believe I, I don't know maybe it's more of a it's tough to say i mean i'm not a connoisseur of bourbon but i know i like smoother you know they call it kentucky kiss there's kentucky bitch slap i wouldn't say that's kentucky bitch slap I mean, well i'll tell you my least favorite bourbon is pappy van winkle yeah so you've tasted? I have. It? I've had it. My uh, this old friend of ours won it in a raffle. Mm-hmm. Brought it up, and it was really funny because they uh, <laughs> they had it in their car. They took a turn in their car, and the the top wasn't on right, and they lost like twenty five percent of the bottle in their car. Jesus, that's expensive. It's very expensive. So we we show up and poured it and i'm drinking it and it was like gasoline it's there is nothing um i've drank a whole bottle of pappy really in kentucky first year we went 
um, this is kind of a one-off story. I'll make it quick, but first year, so we've done this three year, three times, and the first year we did this, uh, which would be about four years ago plus, we roll up to uh, an Airbnb, and the guy upstairs, old guy, and he is a Kentucky legend, accordingly, and we're like two blocks from the University of Kentucky basketball stadium mm-hmm. so we're in that little nook there so we go up and we see this guy um he invites us in we're hanging and all of a sudden he pulls out some of the most rare bourbon i've ever seen in my life including a bottle of pappy and we proceed to drink the entire bottle of pappy that night um we came back two years later on our second trip to see this guy he answered the door and he looked like he was almost dead. I think he had COVID. Oh, jeez. And then we didn't even bother. We didn't bother him the, the next year, thir- two years later, because we thought he might be dead. But he was a old. He was a runner of. Uh, he was part of the what they call the cornbread mafia, which I don't know if I need to. It's probably That's not fine. a statement I should make on this podcast because whatever we're looking out. But yeah, so this guy ran bourbon. For a number of years and he gave us the whole story and he had all these bottles that were incredibly rare um that were i mean he his bourbon collection was probably worth half a million dollars damn and this guy's living in an apartment that's like eight eight hundred square feet i mean that's kentucky for you though yeah and that's my story about bourbon well right on it's a good story <laughs> it's better than my pappy van winkle story i mean yeah you lost half the pappy uh or, or somebody that well i think honestly it's like you get to things and there's like this mystique about them like you're supposed to like it it's like a 500 hundred dollar shot or like you pour like two fingers of it it's 500 bucks and I don't know, man. I tr- I drank I drank it, and it was it was rough. Happy is not <clears throat> a particularly. It, there's nothing about that bourbon, any bourbon for that much, that is any better than the other. Some yeah. are smoother than others. Price point doesn't mean shit. It's rarity you know, that that matters. My favorite thing to drink bourbon whiskey is Red Breast. Yeah, it's an Irish whiskey. Okay, Red Breast. I, I don't know. I don't know. Irish whiskey's sweeter. It's nicer. I mean, I don't know. My uh, stepfather-in-law got it, got me on it, and I love that shit. I mean, I've had Buffalo Red Trace. Breast? Red I mean, Breast. Buffalo Trace in terms of just like, you know, it, it, it's a smoother. Right? Yeah. A smoother bourbon. I know. I didn't have it for a while, and I tried to find it for a long time, and then I couldn't find it. And then I've randomly had three bottles in the last, like, Eight months. Buffalo is probably my fave in terms of just smooth, mm-hmm. sort of higher end bourbon. I'll always I I have a soft spot soft part in my heart for Jameson. Jamo. I will always love a shot of Jamo or just sip it on Jamo. Did we do Jamo? We did Jamo at Authority Zero. That's right. Because I brought you. Yep. My buddy Bert is yep. a Jamo guy. Because I was like, let's have a shot, and then all of a sudden your friend was buying all of us shots. J-Mo's. Yeah, J-Mo. Which is funny because in Atlanta... <laughs> that guy's one of my best friends. His name's Burt Temple. All He's right. a fucking legend, but go ahead. But 
I'll, I'll, I'll spew his name all over this podcast. Nobody, nobody that I know calls it JMO, except up around here. I mean, I started calling it JMO because uh, we would do a wing night, which I've tried to get you to come to. I get it. But that was when Bucketheads was open. And uh, they're about to. We'll see. God, I hope so. It's a it's a diamond in the rough, that place. But we would start the wing night with a shot of J-Mo. And it was just saying J-Mo. J-Mo is... Uh, I think it's like... I've never, I've never... I always thought it's an Irish whiskey, mm-hmm. right? Right? Mm-hmm. And I always associate that with like scotch. And I'm not a big scotch guy. But J-Mo is a smooth sipping friggin... Let's let's ramp this Miller Light up, and let's make this Miller Light like a seven point yeah. Miller Light, mm-hmm. basically. Shot Jamie Miller Light, good to go. Um, and that's what my friend Robert. Uh, Robert's a, Robert's a. Uh, we're not going to talk about Robert right now, but I mean the Jamie I think is a good thing. But I'll I'll take a you know give me a glass, pour two fingers of Jameson, and I'm good. Maybe that's the trick, man. Because, you know what else like, is good? You put the Jameson in the freezer. Cold Jamo changes the game. Straight, just straight. So if you were to go out on a night, uh huh. So I've got a friend from Sweden coming yeah. in mm-hmm. to stay with me tomorrow night. Uh huh. He's gonna stay the whole weekend with us. He's a little bit of a party guy. Yeah. Um, we're gonna put him up nicely. Uh, is he staying at your house? Yeah, yeah. He's gonna stay in the guest room. Um. He was a neighbor of ours, actually, for a number of years as a uh, NATO. And then he moved back to Sweden. Cool. Um, but he's a party animal. The Swedes get down. Yeah, they do. And I'm like, how can I entertain this guy? So, Jason. I don't know if you know my neighbor, Jason. Jim does. Sorry, Jim. Shout, Shout out. Shout out, Jim. He's a frequent guest on the podcast. I know he is. But, um... Yeah, so anyway, we're going to hit the town. We're going to do uh, back deck. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to do maybe chicks because it shuts down at 11. And maybe I'm just going to do a JMO run. And just, yeah. you know what? Instead of drinking like 12 beers, I'm going to have like two JMOs and like maybe three beers and see what happens. You know, when you get into the adding and the subtracting and the math <laughs> of it, it's going to be wild. <laughs> I think a Swede will automatically. You're gonna party with a Swede, so you just need to be prepared. Well, yeah, that's the other part of the story. There's a part of me that's like, if it was me, I'd be like, "Hey, here's an Uber to the oceanfront, and I'll see you tomorrow." So, I've done that with the Swede before, but then we got this house, and I was like, "Hey, Swede, come here, stay with us." Um, but I can't stay out with you until you know three in the morning because that's what they do in sweden but this dude's like he's like 47 48 years old but he doesn't have kids it all he does. changes he's got two kids oh he does but they're not with him they're in sweden and they're like 18 and 16 yeah it's a different perspective swede's gonna chill we're gonna just mellow him out i mean i guess the point of that is i'm gonna be drinking jameson tomorrow night as a test run on what a jamo shot can actually do well, I think that, like, I mean, JMO has been, like, an espresso shot for me, where, like, it's just like, all right, let's go. And it's also been the deciding factor of I need to be asleep now. 
it's all in the timing and the mindset that you're in. You're a wise man. It is. I know. But I've also been in a situation where I've had seven shots of Jameson at Bucketheads in one night. You just have to. It, it's very. It's a. She's a. Jameson is a temperamental beast. You've got to figure out where your night is going. Yep. And are you are you going home by like five? Mm-hmm. Or are you going home by ten? Or are you, are you just not going home? And that's what you need to understand before you hang out with the Swede. I'm. Hey, look. I've. I've. <laughs> This, you're right. You're making me question my ability to hang with the Swede. No, 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 no. But it's not about hanging with the Swede. It's it's about boundaries. And I think if the Swede knows, then he won't push those boundaries. Because you're going to be present within what you can give. The Swede knows my lines. Yep. The Swede can't... He can't hang... I mean... And he might show up and be like, let's sit on the back porch and just hang out. Well, he's going to sit on the back porch. I'm directing this whole interaction between me and the Swede. So the Swede is going to do what... That's a, that's American, right? The mm-hmm. Swede's going to do what I tell him to do. Um, <laughs> the, I'm treating the Swede to, uh, you know, roof over his head. And we're going to go have a good time. Yes. We don't have to party out. And uh, I'm not really concerned about it, but I am going to do a test run because tomorrow night's a good night to do it. Back yeah. deck, I'm gonna I'm gonna rip one JMO, see what happens, and then maybe I'll just cut back on beers. Yeah, I think is that a good thing or is that well, just like a? Are we drinking more out? Al- we're drinking so much alcohol that that sounds like a good thing. No, we're not drinking. I mean, I think it's just. Oh man, it's it, you really don't know until you're in it. <laughs> Fuck it, I'll tell you the story on another podcast. No, Let's just talk just, about real shit. Just though. text me, text me tomorrow. Let me know. So this is so. So there's a lot of quest. So here's the my favorite part about doing this stuff with his dad talk is like there's questions I want to get to. There's I mean you you'll see the board that's right there. That's to like let me know. <clears throat> And what's wild about it is sometimes I have to go through the questions like how many kids do you have? Things like that. But like with our conversation, it's all come up. Like we kind of have this idea of like who your kids are, those type of things. But I think it would be, and you've touched on your parents and that's kind of cool. And we could, you know, we could dive deeper into that. But like, I think it's interesting to talk about like, I don't know, like, what has been, like, is there things that your dad or your parents do that you find yourself doing as well? I knew, you know, that was the question <clears throat> that I got from you earlier. And, and frankly, you know, I, I find myself saying things that my dad said, man. I, I can't... Um, I wish he was here, mm-hmm. but he his his physical health was so much of a burden on my life for a number of years, particularly after my mom died, and you know they split previous like right before she passed. 
you know, when he died and God rest his soul, I love my dad and he was the man. It, it, it relieved me in a way. And I feel like the universe sort of allowed me to blossom into this lifestyle that I have, this, mm-hmm. this, this family and things. And for a number of years, it was really hard. I didn't have kids. I was taking care of my dad. I, you know what, um, my dad, if you think about memories and I think it's about creating memories, um, for all your children, male and female, and, and however many you have, um, presence, obviously, but the little things, like the things I remember about my father were, you know, I was a D1 soccer goalkeeper. You know, my dad was kicking soccer balls at me in the front yard for five years, you know, with little cones set up. I remember that shit. My dad was helping me with my homework because he was a math and science guy. I'd go into his little laboratory, and, which was his office, and we'd sit down, fucking AC unit be cranking, cold as fuck. I'd have to put on a hooded sweatshirt, and I'd get in there, you know, late night, and and late later than a young chit, you know, child should be in there, seven, eight, nine o'clock, and he's helping me. He's reading my entire textbook and he's like basically explaining everything to me. And I'm doing math and I'm like, and I'm feeling confident. I'm going in there and figuring out ways to like test and do things. Like, I don't know any friends that have shared that similar experience with me. Mm -hmm. And so I look, I remember those things. And how how do I... how do I replicate that, you know, for my own children that are, that's impactful, um, while simultaneously, you know, I've got a career that's pretty demanding, but it's not in the sense that I can, I can spend time with my family, but I don't think I can sit down. It's, it's the unknown, man. Like, can I sit down and do homework with my kids, man? That scares me. Homework fucking scares me. Why does it scare you? I, you know, because that's a good question, Roy. Uh, you know, my dad did it for me. And maybe, maybe I just don't feel like I can sit down. So like the whole private school, public school debate. Let's suppose that I send my child to NA, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know anything about NA. And, um, Homework's the big thing. It requires time, effort, dedication. Yeah. How much of that do I have at this point? Can I commit to that? Can I make that like a priority? It has to be. It should be. Can I do it? I'm not there yet. I don't know. It scares me. I don't want to do homework, man. Homework homework? sucks. I hate giving homework. I don't want to fucking do homework. I'm a teacher and I hate giving homework. I mean, these kids are there all day, man. They're fucking jonesing, doing all the stuff yeah. that we pay as parents to be educated on. And to go to like Norfolk Academy, be paying that number and then have to come home and, and do homework for two hours. That's just, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think 
it almost comes back to what you were saying about what was does it have to be you know does it have to be that i mean did you did you enjoy doing that spending that time with your dad i did yeah i did because it was the time that i had with him man mm-hmm. it was just all about the time dude yeah you might be able to relate i mean any time was good time yeah because it was just you and him it was just me and him yeah it was me and him and just like when he was kicking soccer shot you know gold you know toe blowing balls at me uh at a young age in our fucking shitty front yard in bay island and uh you know realizing that he didn't know what the fuck he was doing <laughs> yeah but he was out there just toe blowing balls at me, man. It, 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 that's what I remember. And so I don't want to fuck it up for my own kids by being too much of a force in different ways by expecting things out of which I don't. Maybe I just lay off. Like my dad didn't. He just laid off, man. I just did me. I think you have your answer. Maybe I just let them run a roost. Just let them run wild. Well, it sounds like. Scared of that. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is you love the fact that he was present for the things that you needed him to be at the times. You needed him to kick soccer balls balls at you. You needed him to give him some math homework advice, and he was there for that. If you can think about that. Does it make it easier? Yeah. So what are, what are my, what are my kids' needs? How do I identify that? Like, because they're they're so demanding. They want well, everything. They're demanding now, because they're five and under, right? Yeah. Just give it time, I guess. That's. I mean, I don't have an adult kid. No, but well, it you sounds, gotta give me an answer right it now. It sounds right to me, man. Give me an answer, buddy. Yeah, man. That's why I'm here right now. I need an answer. Yeah, I know, man. I don't have any. I've got uh, 18 other dad talks you could listen to. You know. I should listen to all the dad. I talks. think, but I think that you're you're answering the question, and I think that's something that us as dads need to understand is that it's not the fact that our dads. Maybe, maybe it's not the fact that our dads were were doing anything more than just showing up and giving a damn. There we go. I think I've coined a Back phrase. Back in the eighties and nineties, man, I feel like that's pretty much what happened. I mean, my dad. I mean, I didn't make it easy on my dad, per se, with the likes and dislikes in my life, but he tried, and I think I I appreciate the fact that he tried. You know, he would make fun of he would i remember i i liked metallica and he called it metallica because he, it bothered him the way that they spelled it and the way that they said it my parents let me i was listening to guns and Roses and metallica but still, when i was like fifth grade yeah, but yeah. like i remember when i like i played i played saxophone and i wanted to learn a dave matthews band song and my dad was a musical guy he went and found the musical like the book of the songs so that i could like transpose it and play along i mean that was cool and it was i mean it was a big deal because i guess it showed me that he listened to what i liked and 
gave a damn and, and bought the book. It was like $9. He still bought it. It's like your dad, he just showed up. You know, I think if you can show up when they want you to show up, that's kind of what matters, right? I think as a a young man, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a as a young male, mm-hmm. the the female is going to be a totally different story and we can do a podcast in like 10 years from now on that, but We'll see how much hair you have left on your head after that. Yeah, it's going to be gray as fuck. I'll have two (laughs) bottles of Noah's probably at that point. But but you're right. I mean, I think think showing up and giving a damn and the the, the 80-20 rule, um, that's that's totally relative because I'm thinking about my interactions minute by minute with with my kids. You know, it's like they wake up and I'm an... I'm, something triggers me or we don't have a good connection. Um, but the memories that I just share with you are very few and far between over like a 20 year period. And you don't remember it on a micro level, right? No. You remember it on a macro level. It's macro. And that's what the kids are going to remember. And they're going to remember the macro level of like the, the anger and the like, no, nah, I can't handle that right now. So like, if you're, if you're like, nope, can't do that. Nope. Can't do that. Nope. I need my time, which you talked about a balance, right? So like, yes, you need your time, but does it need to come at the expense of this? Your family, you know? And and what is that time, man? I mean, you spend time at home all the time. Yeah. I mean, I do. And uh-huh. You know, like I'm doing, I'm trying to get through a 20 minute workout, right? And <laughs> Amanda's like, I got to prep dinner. Can you just shut the fucking door so they can just lock them in the garage? Yeah. So I'm like grinding. I'm doing like 100 push ups and they're jumping on my back. Yeah. I'm like, guys, guys, come on. Stop, stop. And that's my selfish 20 minutes. Um, and I'm wondering how that's going to be perceived by them later on. But it's their way of like, I'm overthinking this, bro. I'm being more and more present than I think that I was with my own father. Yeah. And at, at the end of the day, look, yeah. I'm doing everything I can. I want my family to thrive. I want my kids to be successful. And as long as you're trying, because a lot of, I think a lot of dads in the generation above us, we're dealing with a lot of trauma from their dads because their dads dealt with a lot more than our dads did. Well, they were World War II guys. Yeah, or and even Vietnam. Our, even our Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, our dad's generation was Vietnam. And it was, and it was, it was just a lot of trauma. I think a lot of things that, like, I don't know, like mental health's a big, a big thing nowadays. And I think, I mean, I've been in therapy for a decade you know, regularly. And I think that's been on the forefront of conversations that wasn't years ago. And I think that's, that's helping. Do you still actively do that? Do we ever like come up here and do that? What do you mean? Um, like, am I actively seeking therapy? I mean, yeah. On a regular basis. Every other Wednesday, 
I have an hour session with a guy on it's telehealth since COVID, but yeah, I talk to a guy every other week. What do you, so when I went through my divorce, I went through three different therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and they each made me feel actually four and I felt guilt. I felt, uh, also I went to every one of them until I got what I wanted. Yeah. Well, that was my experience at least granted because I was, I was like exiting a marriage and like moving on and some of them said, no, you owe something to your ex and then others were like proceed and do what your heart means or, or, or needs um i've always struggled with that i mean i don't know my parents were big therapy people they were always in therapy everybody was in therapy they were trying to get me in therapy thinking i needed therapy because my dad's alcoholism and i was like do i need therapy i don't know i've always teetered along the lines of like do I need this or do I not? And can it be helpful? I mean, I can only speak for myself. And we start, I started therapy because my wife wanted us to do therapy. We weren't in any bad place. It was just to like, it'd be nice to have someone to bounce some things off of. And so we started going to a couple's therapist and it wasn't, it was just literally, it was easy. And it was nice to have a mediator because sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm a heady person. And so, like, it was nice to have someone that could help me, like, like sift through the heady stuff to get to what I was feeling and then communicate that to her. And then it was, you know, vice versa. And then I thought maybe with this church stuff, I should start talking about it. And then I talked about it with someone. And then that was, like, a few years. And then I found a new person. And I've been talking with this guy and I don't know, man, it's, it's not so much about, I mean, I would tell anyone that they need to, they need to have someone to talk to. Yeah. Because our, I mean, we're, we're people that need, we just need that. Absolutely. And I think that like, it has only helped me in my life and in my marriage and in being a father and being a friend and being anybody, being a, a stable person it's it's helped me but uh i mean i can't answer that question it's something that you know you have to feel like you need you know but i would not be the person i am today if i didn't have a therapist because i'm a i mean but we're all i mean i'm fucked up but we're all fucked up I mean, if we can admit that we're all fucked up and we know we're all fucked up and we're just dads trying to be the best we can for our wives and our our children. At the end of the day, man, it it all goes back to just presence and and giving a fuck. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's guys, everybody's got plenty of people that will take it over the, the limit of giving a fuck. Um... At the end of the day, man, I, you know what? <laughs> I think presence absolutely is 80%. And the, the way you raise your family with the church 
right? And, you know, my wife is very, she's very, uh, she's been involved in the church for a long time. I have not. And so I'm, I'm coming, sort of coming to that whole, I don't know what that means yet. I, I'm not, I'm not a buy-in guy. And I'll say yeah. this on the podcast, like, I'm not a, uh, I go to church because it makes me feel good after the fact, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm saved by Jesus. And I'm seeing all these things that I, I, I just don't know. I don't know Christ like a lot of people that are church going folks do. Yeah. And I'll admit that. And, you know, my wife she's not look amanda is she's all about it i think that the household should be raised in that sense but i'm not going to be that guy i'm not going to be that pillar at this point and and only only reasons that i just don't that's not me right now so i think that you should only be yourself i think you honor i don't know being in a marriage and being a parent, it seems like you honor what they want and be there for them. Things that are important to them. You, you like show up with an idea of like, and I mean, sometimes, what am I trying to say? It's like, if it's important to your wife, it's important to your kids, you're there. I'm going to do it. And not in a sense of like, okay, I'm just going to go. But like, because that takes the joy and the good things that they feel about it from them. When right. you're just like, all right, I guess we'll just go. But if you honor I'm that, that because it's different than like going to church is different than like going to a movie or going to this thing that they just like. Church is this thing that they feel, you know on the inside from their heart and you can't rob them of that you know and i think i don't want to i mean and, i want to be more involved yeah. but i just want to but the more you overthink it is when the problems start to happen because you can only be yourself for them in this moment if that makes sense it does and just being that is is all that needs to be because when you're that in the moment that is what opens up to whatever possibilities you know and i think that's also being the parent and being the husband is just being there and not who you think you should be not who you wish you would be not trying to go past it but just being this is who you are in this moment oh, oh you're gonna push that mic over oh, sorry i'm laughing at the jumps of the the sound there you go no we're good but does that make sense absolutely because yeah. the moment that you are trying you're trying to be the something else you're not being who you are and who you are is what just what they want you to be. So if who I am is not of the holy sense 
in terms of going to church every Sunday and, you know, adopting this religion thing. But does she want you to be, does she want you to be, hold on, what am I trying to say? I got this. No, she never, she doesn't crowd me at all. She knows where I come from. Does she want you to support it? Uh, yes, and I do want to support it. And that's all you need to do. Right. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping to go to church every Sunday. When I show up, I want Jesus to just pah! Yeah, he's not gonna do. He ain't gonna do that. Be like that. He ain't gonna do that. Sorry. Um. All right. So I need to look at a different route. I'm just saying. Um, Like, I think people want you to support it. (laughs) And and to show up a little. We keep saying that word showing up, but it's fine. Well, uh, you know what? Maybe the the whole idea about being dads in, in this podcast is presence, showing up is a loose term but being present yeah is the end of the at the end of the day look good and bad scenarios i took my kid to fucking t-ball and he rolled around in the dirt all day yeah. for 30 minutes and i'm like all right you know it's two hours out of my life but that's fine I, you know i spent it with him you you have to walk away with that mindset i think you know to feel like you know fulfillment you know i feel fulfillment as a father i don't know if you do i hope you do um yeah i do i do i mean it's your son's four yeah he'll be four in june so as time goes on i mean i'm told whether this is true or not but you know things get real when kids start to rationalize and they start to recognize and see what's going on around them household um and if you're a present figure back to that point um and you have a vision yeah you know what i think is important is a vision for your family as a man right i i mean i think if you if you envision things in my life at least they've come true and and how do you direct yourself to that i think that's important i think that the only thing i would add to that is your vision is you should include your wife in that and no question she's she's actually it's her vision i'm just like in the side saddle we have a vision We we actually have a vision board in our kitchen no, I think it's it's very important. You know, and it's and it's Yeah, man, I have a vision for where I want our life to be. And I think I have an idea of of how to get there. But like presence is the easiest thing and it's the hardest thing. You know? And the, and I I think that if you're there's no like one answer to being a parent. You know, there's no like one magic pill. No. And there's, there's a, not. I mean, there's a lot of people that sell the books to make you think that. And there's a lot of people on Instagram that make you think that, but it's like 
it's not and it's it's a constant thing and i think it's just i'd i'd add awareness to the conversation like an awareness of who your kids are now you know and it's like i don't know because they don't want from what i'm seeing from a teacher perspective is they're not wanting much these kids these kids and i've said the word like seen and heard and in the 20 or so years that's it they don't want to be like furniture in a living room they don't want to be these things that need to be shut up they want to be things that are like celebrated they want to be like when their ideas you don't look at them like they're idiots i mean the kids are going to come to you and like say the weirdest fucking things to you oh, yeah and and we're only like four years in you're five years in like i mean i was saying the craziest i wanted to do the craziest things but i think that like there was a space to say that and that was the most powerful thing so like do you think that let's use me as an example if i let these kids i say let these kids that's my overpowering mentality i hear that um let's just let them run like i ran i mean Mm -hmm. i'm looking back at my life I'm looking at as I was in my household. I did whatever the fuck I wanted, whenever the fuck I wanted to do it. My parents let me run the roost, the entire hood, all over the house, all over the neighborhood, crawling on roofs, jumping off roofs, jumping in fucking, you know, doing whatever I want. Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. And that I feel like that had to have shaped me to where I am today. And these kids are not, they're my DNA. I mean, they're they are not cut from a different cloth. And I'm sitting here hovering over them, like, destroying all my shit in the garage. Which is what they're going to do, man. I got a bunch of shit in the garage. Yeah. I should get rid of all that shit. And let them just destroy whatever the fuck else they want to. I got too much shit. My problem is, I got to get rid of my shit. I feel like you're asking me the question and you're already answering it for yourself. I'm telling you right now, I think I know this answer. These these kids have too much shit. We have too much shit. I want to get light. I'm trying to get yeah. light. Well, the beauty of the beauty of I think what you're saying is that like you got to run the roost. You know what it's like. You can let them run the roost, but with a little bit of guidance. You know Which what is I mean? what my dad did to me. And I'm yeah. sitting here hovering over these guys because they're tearing everything up. And I'm like, yeah, you guys just have a bunch of shit to tear up. I didn't have a bunch of shit to tear up. Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Bluey for a second. And there's this, epi- there's this episode of Bluey where Bluey has a toy that she doesn't want anyone to play with. And she lets it out. She forgets about it, right? And then her her cousin comes over, and then the little cousin comes over, and they start playing with it, and they I think they tear it up. And she gets super frustrated. If you have things you don't want your kids to mess up, don't put it where they can touch it. 
you know that's true and and getting mad at them tearing up their own toys is that's a lost cause man. it is man it's their toys there i i can go in my our backyard and see nine things that i paid money for him and it's like halfway buried in the dirt Everything that we've given to them that they have is theirs. Yeah. And me throwing it in the black fucking trash can. Mm. And them saying, I don't care. And me getting mad, which is what happened tonight. Yep. Means absolutely nothing to them in the long run. You know what means the world? I'm a bystander. Yep. You know what means the world to my kid? The the shell he found three days ago in the sand that that shell is his treasure there's a stick in our house that we can't get rid of because it's his stick that he found you know they grab sticks leaving the baseball field and they shred sticks all over the back of my car yeah and i get mad because there's fucking bark everywhere my yeah and i'm like you know what he thought that pollen, these <laughs> pollen things were broccoli. And so he showed up with a handful of like pollen. And I was like, Dad, look at all this broccoli. And I'm like, Great. And I just put, you know, it's all over my car now. No, I get it. I think that, like, yeah, man, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to do anything throwing it all in the garbage when they no. see it. Pitching in the trash didn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, but once I figure out the... Um, my biggest fear, one of your questions is... Uh-huh. Uh, my biggest fear as a father... I thought about this over the last day or two. Once you send me that, is not helping my kids fulfill their their maximum potential Mm. um and then secondly is over parenting because i didn't come from over parenting and i worked out okay what makes you think you're going to over parent um just the day-to-day like sort of um I think honestly, I, if 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 our household's gonna work out and three ki- three children, is let these guys just do them. My wife is like, we we've invested a lot of money in this home we have and it's beautiful and we just did this renovation and it's gorgeous. They're gonna fuck it all up <laughs> in a short amount of time. It ain't going to look that pretty in two, three years. And the second we can come to grips with that, the better off we're going to be. Because these kids are going to run amok, which I encourage. I mean, that's the way it should be. Yeah. At the end of the day. I think what you're saying is a metaphor for the whole fucking thing. You know? You can you can try to control it as much as you want to. But the more you let go, the easier it gets and the better Bingo. it gets. We should just zip it 
Yeah. The more you let go, the better it gets. Yeah. The less you actually care. Let these kids just trash it. I mean, literally. Like, they're not trashing it, but they're just... Look, they're they're just... We've given them these things. These yeah. objects. And they're tossing them and throwing them and fucking, fucking your shit up. Uh-huh. But... I mean... Dude, at the end of the day, these they're just doing kids. They're kids. Yeah. Let them run. Let them fuck it all up. Stop hovering and making yourself miserable. You're trying too hard. I am. That's what I, I knew here. We, we, we are trying too hard. Well, I knew tonight when I came here, I was talking about, you You asked me to you know, put a question up there, like, what's your, I can't recall what it was, but. It simply was, it was more about, you know, me and my reactions to my children and the way that I'm fucking blood pressured up daily due to their shenanigans. Yeah. These, these are fucking, they're kids, man. They're going to fuck the whole house up. I told Amanda we shouldn't have bought a nice house. It's not <laughs> but that's that's a bull that's that's bullshit. Um, no, I think I'm laughing because it's like they're being exactly who they need to be. They're everything they should be. And and I'm throwing their golf clubs in the trash can, their basketball in the trash can, asking for fucking respect me i mean that's fucking bullshit dude that's not how i was raised and that that's not who i want to be and you don't have to be that i'm yeah we're coming like everything's coming full circle if you notice that like just because it was doesn't mean it's gonna be you know and you gotta like it's not that they're like you don't have to care. But it's like... It's being specific with what you're caring about. It's like that book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It's not about... The book isn't about like not giving a fuck about anything. It's about you have a few fucks to give. And you need to be selective about those fucks. That's the the trick man that's the secret if if there's a book which like, fucks do you regard I yeah mean, and like do you really want like i mean it it does suck and we have to honor the fact that it sucks when you buy something for your kid and you see it in the yard and it's not taken care of and you're just like man what in the world but really just corral provide the space be present you know yeah you know what? I'm going to stop. My goal right now, after this conversation, because this has actually enlightened me a lot. Thank you, Roy. I mean, nah, the, the less giving of a fuck yeah. on the tolerant, you know, the caring of all the shit, the objects, right? Mm-hmm. They have these objects. They mistreat them. Fuck the objects. It's, it's more about, I'll say nothing and let them, look, you want to hit some golf clubs? I'm going to fucking toss that thing in the bushes. That's your golf club. You treat it the way you want to treat it. If I give them something 
that's theirs. Yeah. I can't take that away. So me taking that away is like, I gave you something and all of a sudden I'm taking it away. I'm going to throw it in the trash can. It's a fucked up mentality and I'm embarrassed is, the fact that I did that tonight. It's almost confusing. It's it's incredibly confusing. You know, and then I have like my young, my middle son like ready to throw a rock at me. And I'm like, you're throwing a rock at me for putting your shit in the trash can? This is all fucked up. We got to unwind this. Um, and at the end of the day, it's okay. At least you're trying. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to teach the right things, but it's backfiring in a way, you know. But things like this, I think less is more, man. If you could walk away with anything, I think less is more from my personal experience. Yeah. If you have the right kid with the right mindset. And you know, I think that it's it's good. I'm glad. I think we're tying a bow on it, and that's the perfect thing in this conversation. You know, I think uh it's always fun to like have these questions that I want to ask and just watch them be answered without me saying anything. And it's cool. And I also want to say that like, I do respect the fact that you're here and you're allowing me to put this out on the internet and to people. I'm not, I don't take that lightly. And I think that like, there's power in stories and us just talking and telling our stories is what makes people feel, you know, less alone and things like that. So thanks for coming on and sharing your bourbon and your stories. It's pretty rad. You just started showing up at the parks that we were at like years ago. Like that's literally how we know each other. Like that, that was yeah. that was funny, and then all yeah. of a sudden, like the dynamic came about, and uh-huh. um, yeah, you and I, you and I need to be. Look, we should go to a show together. Just, all right, let's you and I just go we'll see some it. shows. We'll see some shows. I'll be your show, buddy. We'll we'll do that stuff. I think that'd be fun as shit. And I respect. I love what you're doing here with the podcast thing. I don't have anybody that's doing that. Any friends or anything? This is important because. Everybody's got, you know, similar but different uh, experiences, yeah. right? And and I think that, um, I think that as as a father of three, that it's it's sometimes getting lost. I'm sometimes lost in the day to day and the things that I'm failing at, and I'm focusing on the failures. I think the successes are more important, um, and that needs to be highlighted. What's important? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And looking back at how you cultivate these children and just my walk away from this conversation, Roy, is less is more, buddy. I'm just going to be less. Yeah. And see what happens. I'll just let them run the fucking tear my house all to shit. Jokingly. Yeah. But, you know, just let them go. Because there's always more drywall you can stop, put up. I'm, yeah, dude, I'm going to stop hovering. I'm going to stop hovering at the house, yeah. man. So. Tight. Right on. All right. Glad you came on. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, if you don't like it, I'm, I'm not the source. I'm just a channel. Be excellent to each other. See you soon. Talk to you soon.